this week's Into the Wilderness podcast. I'm bringing the intro to you from Namibia. Well, certainly the start of it anyway. My brother is back in Scotland. I haven't quite uh, returned home yet. He will be bringing up the back end of this intro, uh, bringing you news on competitions and I'm sure a few other things which I haven't been able to keep on top of while I've been away. I'm half a day now uh, away from joining in the CIC conference, well, the symposium, the day before the actual conference itself, uh, with a whole heap of journalists and thinkers and conservationists from around the world. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, I've had dinner with our good friend Tyler Sharp, editor-in-chief of Modern Huntsman Tonight, uh, and a couple of other people who are going to be in the symposium tomorrow. And just the chat around the dinner table was podcast-worthy, so I'm hoping that the four of us are going to sit down and bring you an entire show maybe tomorrow evening. I think that's probably going to be the best time to do it. But anyway, on to this week's episode, which is um, an interview that I recorded with Francois Mayer, who, as many of you will know and hopefully have been following on the Instagram stories from about a week ago from when I'm recording this intro, Uh, I spent a good chunk of time with him, maybe five or six days, and this is where your money has been going if you contributed to the Pangolin auction that we were running. Uh, We brought thermal and motion cameras to the guys on the ground to be used in pangolin conservation. There's some more money uh, that has been left over from the auctions because we didn't spend it all. And now that I've met Francois and the, the, the team at the African pangolin working group I have a better idea what other equipment they're going to need so I know that uh, for example we went to track uh, one pangolin I think it could have been the night after uh, we recorded this uh, podcast uh, which was on uh, like a government reserve and the people there doing security who guided us or had to be in attendance with us while we were trying to check up um, on this pregnant female didn't have any torches. So some of the money is going to be used to provide torches to those guys on the ground who are actually fighting the good fight. Seems ridiculous that they wouldn't have equipment like that, especially when they're they're in charge for looking after the, the area at night, but they don't. So hopefully we're going to be able to help with that. Uh, but you're going to hear a fascinating account as to what we were up to while I was with Francois and what they do in the African Pangolin Working Group, what his role is, the research that he's doing, and just how precarious the position is for pangolin around the world, not just in Africa, uh, but also globally, because there are some Asian species as well. Once I finished up with Francois in South Africa, I promptly headed over to Namibia, where I've been for just about a week now, uh, most of that time I've been with Jan also for safaris, uh, where I spent my time with Alex and his mom, Aneta, learning about their operation and the sort of the contrast and comparison between running a hunting outfit on one hand and also part of their business which caters for photographic tourism. Trying to understand how both of those fit 
was a really interesting conversation because it is something that comes up time and time again when we look at alternative ways of wildlife management, particularly in places like Africa, where it's very often suggested that we could replace hunting with photographic tourism. But here is a, a really, really good example with no BS of a family which run both on, on a large farm. It's 30 plus thousand hectares, so vastly bigger than most estates that we have in Scotland. And they are doing both. So they can tell you, as, as indeed Alex does in the interview that I did with him, how they compare and what the reality is on the ground. It's very easy for us to make broad sweeping statements from half a world away, but if you really, really want to understand how conservation works on the ground, you really need to speak to the people who are living it every day. And I hope that that's what I've managed to do here, and indeed I hope it's what we've managed to do most of the time in the podcast. But that's coming up uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, I'm not quite sure when that podcast with Alex is going to come out. Uh, we're going to be grabbing a whole heap of new content uh, in the next couple of days here at the CIC. And again, when I get back in about a week's time, of which we'll be going straight in to the Northern Shooting Show, which I, I can't wait to go. There's a whole stack of people who have been meaning to catch up with at home for a long time and I know that a lot of them are going to be at the Northern Shooting Show and we also have two talks going on, one on the Saturday, one on the Sunday. You'll see all the information about what they're going to be about along with all the other people who are doing talks uh, in in the, the deer hunter area uh, which is uh, on the Northern Shooting Show Instagram and Facebook page and we'll put up details of the things that we're involved in on our Facebook and Instagram in the next week or so. So with that, I won't keep you any longer. I will hand over to my brother in Scotland and he can give you the latest updates before we get into this podcast. And seamlessly, we transition to Scotland. This will be the the last uh, podcast for a while that we, um, well, me and Byron are in different locations, uh, podcasting from different sides of the world. I don't really need to do much of an introduction. Byron did a pretty awesome introduction of what is a way to happen in the show. So I don't need to say any more than that. few updates. In the last two weeks, it has gone a little bit crazy south of the border. There has been massive changes, massive things happening uh, to do with general licenses. Uh, unfortunately, we've just not been able to cover this at all. We, we all, as, as our regular listeners know, we are in different parts of the world. We, uh, As I currently sit, uh, Beth uh, works in the office. She is currently on holiday in Mallorca, I think. Byron is in South Africa and I'm in Scotland and I'm away to drive to Edinburgh to a GWCT event in a matter of hours. So uh, yeah, we're kind of split up all over the world and there's just so many things going on. But what we will do is when Byron is back, we will we will we'll dig through this and what what is what is interesting well not interesting what we tend to like to do anyway is that there's just a huge amount of noise whenever anything like this happens there is a huge amount of noise and don't be wrong i mean immediate action needed to be taken uh but uh, i mean 
what was what was the point in us sort of weighing in on anything uh, when when nobody even had the facts? Literally, no one had any facts. Nobody knew anything. Not, I don't think in natural England even knew anything um, to to start with. So it's probably much better if we uh, do a separate show and then we get hold of some people and they can come on and talk about what's happened, what's happening in the future, and um, kind of what went wrong. So I think that's that's a better idea of what to do with that show. On to the important things, of course. So, we have a competition winner from two weeks ago, and that was to win uh, a whole bunch of Horndy and CZ products. Uh, miscellaneous, uh, and there was definitely some CZ mints in there as well. And uh, it was an Instagram competition, and all you had to do was tag us on a post on Instagram uh to let us know what you're up to this time of year kind of springtime and uh, the winner is joe preston who uh, sent us a picture of uh, lambing so joe get in touch we'll send you some goodies we're going to have a new competition and as i'm currently sitting the office is in complete disarray i'm talking you can barely walk around it because (laughs) we're in the process well i am in the process of redoing a room next door, which is a way to become our kind of permanent uh, podcast studio and also a storage unit for all of our products and everything, our coffee and t-shirts and everything. So uh, what I'm going to do is that it's just going to be a miscellaneous um, prize again. You have no idea what there is, but I know there is a handful. I think there might be one Horndy Reloading manual left. There is definitely some CZ products left. There might even be a pair of ballistic um, glasses uh, and possibly... I think there is some caps as well. So I'm going to make another little bundle up because as the... Hopefully, in one day's time, uh, as the office is finished... I'll be able to go through all of the products again, and uh, and we'll be able to uh, get a better idea of what we've got. But for now, it's going to be, it's a lucky dip. It really is a lucky dip. But I like that. And you're definitely getting some CZ mints thrown in as well, because we have a huge amount of those. So all you have to do to win this is, it's a picture competition. We're going to um, run it on Instagram and on Facebook. And the the topic is literally anything. It's uh, just whatever, whatever you're up to, preferably outdoors, uh, but yeah, tag us in a picture and it is literally whatever catches our eye, uh, then you are the winner. That's it. Uh, we'll put up a post about it as well uh, in the following day and just post your pictures below. We've done loads of these picture competitions and they've always done phenomenally well and we love to see what people are up to. So it's pr- pretty awesome. Talking about picture competitions, this is a separate competition, so put that in a box, what I've just talked about, to when all of the the goodies of the CZ, Hornady goodies and that, put that in one box. Now there's a separate competition, which is pretty damn cool. At the Northern Shooting Show, which is imminently upon us, I realise that it's, it's less than a week away. No, it's a week away, so it's the 11th, 12th of May, so we're approaching it very fast. We have been running over the last few weeks a photography competition and it is free to enter for everyone and there is four categories. I'm actually just going to bring them up on my phone so I get them right. So the categories are working dogs, working life, small game and big game. That is it. And all you need to do is send your pictures to enter to info at paceproductionsuk.com. Simple as that. 
send your pictures. Now, I have two requests, please. Please, if you're sending 15 pictures, please, for the love of God, put them into either, one, a folder, a Dropbox, or we transfer them. Please do not send 15 emails or in fact one the other day that was 25 we appreciate all the entries we really do but when you have 25 emails from one person uh it's it's quite a lot so we all i request is that you just think about the way that you send your files uh, there is better ways out there we transfer is the king so we transfer it and then also be helpful if you leave your name as well uh, all the details are on various social media platforms, on um, our Pace Brothers page, the podcast page, the DNA Film Festival page. And out of those four categories, those four lucky winners are going to win some awesome prizes worth about £250 each. And I'm actually staring at two of the prizes. And one of them is a Kanai bag. And it's a photography bag. And it has... Uh, it's kind of um, I want to say it's is a combat-looking bag, but it's not. It's it's something I would definitely use. In fact, I'm going to buy one myself. Uh, but it has this really cool insert, and uh, I took a picture of it. It's also online, and I managed to put three, four lenses in, uh, the small drone in, and also my camera in in this bag. It's perfect, absolutely perfect for all your photography needs. We also are giving away, it's called a slide light. It's a camera strap by Peak Design, and we use it on all of our own cameras. And it's a really cool tab system, so you can uh, detach the straps really easy. And they're interchangeable between cameras. And because we've got multiple cameras, it's really easy if you can just change the strap between different cameras. So we're throwing one of them in, plus the bag, which is worth £170. That uh, strap's worth about, I think it's uh, £50. And then on top of that... Uh, you're also getting a full Zeiss cleaning kit for your camera, which we also use. So those are some really cool prizes. And if I was a photographer starting out, or just not even starting out, if I was, uh, if I didn't have these things already, then I'd be over the moon to get these. So get your entries in now. Uh, and the, well, the email address will be below uh, in this as well. But if you need any more information about that, like I said, just head over to the Facebook page on the DNA Film Festival page and everything is on there as well, all the details. And now, before I wrap up the end of this podcast, I bring you some awesome news and it comes from Holland and Holland. They have just launched a new bursary scheme and if you haven't heard of this, it's been floating around social media the last few days, but if you haven't heard of it, it is something that might tickle your fancy. So apologies if you can hear a computer fan now. I've had to start up the, the, big, the big editing machine so I can read this properly off the computer. So the scheme. Holland and Holland recognises the vital role gamekeepers and stalkers play in shaping and protecting shooting and the countryside. Their day-to-day commitment combined with their extensive knowledge of game management is crucial to our industry. The Holland and Holland Bursary Scheme will award a young gamekeeper, ghillie or stalker, in the first five years of their career with up to £10,000 to pursue a course or project related to sustainable natural resource management. Through the Bursary Scheme, we hope to support young gamekeepers and contribute to their education and career. So, that is pretty amazing. £10,000 to go and pursue a project or course related to sustainable natural resource management. Like, that's phenomenal. 
If you want to know more about the scheme, then hop on to hollandandholland.com forward slash bursary. I'm going to try and put the link in the description as well. It'll also be all over social media as well. If you head to there, it gives you all of the details about uh, what candidates they're looking for, what you need to do um, to apply. And uh, you have until, I'm just looking here, Friday the 31st of May. So you have the whole of this month. And I encourage you to get it in. Get Just get it done. Get it in early. Um, it's an amazing opportunity. It's it's amazing also to see companies putting you know serious money into young people's education, uh, and this is this is going to do someone so much good. I and before I have one other thing before uh, I completely uh, end this intro. Make sure you are on the lookout for the whiskey treasure hunt. The first one has just finished. And if you go on the Gallic Whiskey and Gin's Facebook or Instagram page, the second one is a way to launch imminently. So if you like whiskey and you like walking or you like exploring, uh, then there is uh, prizes all over Scotland that you can go and win. And uh, if you follow the pages, it gives you clues. I think that is it for for this week. Uh, we, there, there's been a lot of things going on the last two weeks, like I said, and me and Byron need to do a catch-up show because I've barely spoken to him. You have currently heard more from him in the last two hours of this podcast than I have in the last month. Uh, so that shows you how little we've actually spoken. And, uh, and <laughs> when I was editing this podcast, uh, I was learning everything as you were learning it as well, because I only got the files uh, about a day ago. So enjoy the show. Francois, we're sitting in probably one of the most awesome locations I've ever recorded a podcast. And I've recorded podcasts in some pretty cool places around the world, but I think this probably takes it. It's something else. We're sitting here on this like elevated uh lapa i suppose yeah with the bar there your dog's really not sure about this podcast <laughs> no definitely not <laughs> we we tried to start recording this about five minutes ago turned all the gear on we stuck the headsets on and uh toro just went nuts just barking at us i've no idea why but he's he's chilled out now you can't you might hear him in a second if he decides to bark hopefully not you'll definitely <laughs> you'll definitely know about it it's so piercing <laughs> I think it nearly burst my eardrums. Yeah, I hope your equipment survives that bark, right? Yeah, he he wanted to nibble the headset, but unfortunately he managed to stop him. But he's really not convinced. He's still standing here looking at us, listening intently with his ears. Maybe maybe it's because I didn't bring a headset for him. Oh, yeah. No, he doesn't want to be excluded. I mean, the past few days he's been busy. Yeah, he has. And now he just has to sit and watch us. Finding Pangolin. (laughs) He was amazing this morning. Uh, Explain where in the country we are right now. We're obviously in South Africa, as people will probably know, um, that I was um, heading here. Of course, I can't be too specific. No, you know, but essentially, they're like the yeah. province. Yeah, so uh, uh, Limpopo province, uh, northern Limpopo. Okay, which is in the north of South Africa. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, yeah, the Limpopo province is the most northern province, and then we're in, in northern Limpopo. Sure. Yeah. So it's a... Um, it's uh, this, is, yeah. this is mainly where I'm based, um, and there's some release sites in the area as well, but... Uh, the release sites are kind of spread out in the entire Limpopo. Just um, paint a picture for the the kind of terrain here, because it's so different. I've just been down in the Eastern Cape before coming here, and I've been up in this part of South Africa before, but not for a long time. And I forgot just how different it is up here. I mean, for a start, 
the all these boobabs just oh, yeah. dotted around no, like it's... sentinels in the bush are just incredible. Um, yes, how do you explain this? Um, well, th- this is called the sav- savanna biome. Um, so savanna biome is characterized by uh, a balance between woody plantation and 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 uh, uh, grass, uh, grass, grass cover, I yeah. suppose. Sorry, my English might <laughs> might drop me in a. a, a, a Every, no, now every now and then, it's been um, absolutely perfect. Probably yeah, better than my English so far. So <laughs> yeah. So, um, and this this is this is like a, a Mupani woodland type of savanna. So mm. uh, it's most most um, mostly dominated by acacia species and the 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 Mupani trees, and then with the sandstone, what we call uh, kopis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which are rocky outcrops. Rocky outcrops. Right? Yeah. So you get this un uneven terrain essentially, and then like you say, there's just this massive baobabs popping up, and once if you just look over the, if you just look over the entire terrain and you start paying attention, you just see how they are spread out. They eh? sometimes just next to each other and just it just keeps going. It's, it's so un- <laughs> because it's such an unusual tree to view yeah. and so iconic to yeah, this it's, part it's of a, Africa. It's, and it, it's just on a different time scale, you know. They're they're they've been here a very long <laughs> a time. very long time to get those sizes. Eh? It's great. I must try and take some pictures today just to, for scale for people with me or yeah. you standing beside it with our arms around it. Yeah, because even the one that's in the in the like the the area of the the place that we're staying here is a, an ancient colossal giant. Yeah, no, and if we get to uh, to go to the other big one today, um, you're, you're going to need a wide angle lens. Yeah. For that <laughs> that, a, is it way massive. bigger than this one? Is it the one that's in the in the middle? Like there? lengthwise. That's as, about as big as they get, but this one I would say is at least three times as thick as that. No one. way. Yeah, it's mass. It's intimidating. It's really? it, it's got a presence of its own. Like it's yeah. it's definitely a awesome sight. I'm looking forward to that. Is that the one we might be buying on the later? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, if times allow, if time time allows. It's, it. been, <laughs> it's been a pretty uh, pretty busy couple of days, and we've been trying to catch little bits of sleep every now and then <laughs> in between waking up early. But before we get to that, I should probably rewind a bit and explain exactly what I've been doing with you now. Uh, probably, the, I think the place to start, for, especially for people who been who listen to our podcast regularly, is the auction that we ran to raise money for um, the conservation of pangolin, which you are integrally involved in. Yeah. Uh, you, I know we've had a few conversations uh, about it before I arrived and since we've arrived, and you've seen all the equipment that we've brought. You were uh, pretty blown away, you were telling me, by the support that that effort gained yeah. so quickly. Yeah, no, it's, it's such a... Um, it's such a refresh... How can I explain it? You know, um, It was such an instant... And such a positive type of support, you know. Everybody that 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 was involved, you know, you, it it felt really personal. You, each each uh, each item felt like, you know, you could you can see the people that's giving. Everybody was engaged, and I mean, you, the 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 speed that targets was was, was reached. It was insane. And, and like we discussed, it wasn't like the the auction was. Oh, just check your phone there. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a puddle. There's a river on top of my phone dribbling from a dog's mouth. <laughs> He's still not sure about the podcast. He's sitting here, just I don't know what, observing, making sure that yeah. there's no untoward. That's okay. My, my phone things. is dry now. Yeah. <laughs> so carry on. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The support it, it did yeah, happen pretty quick, didn't it? Yeah, and 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 that was even. I, I, I was just casually advertised. It wasn't like everybody was going out of the way advertising that auction, and just mm. happened, you know. And of course, the equipment that 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 came from it is just insane. Mm. Um, 
like we tested this morning, that thermal thermal spotter, I yeah. suppose you call it, eh? Yeah, it is, yeah. Yes, that thing's going to... That's gonna, I think it's going to make a difference. How are you going mean, to... We're going to explain exactly what it is that you do in the, the research that you're doing in the African Pangolin Working Group. We're gonna, we'll get to that. But what is it that you're going to use, that you can foresee yourself using the thermal for in particular? I know we've discussed a few things that it might be useful. Uh, how, how we tested it this morning, just the... the uh, it's already effective on quite a distance. The, the things that immediately came to mind for me um, is first off safety. Like if I have to climb into these copies, these rocky outcrops, a risk there is leopards. And it's a very real risk it's that's a, it's, it's, all it's the a, time. It's a, it's a very real risk, yeah. you know, especially if I go to properties that I don't know personally myself, you know. So you can just scope ahead, I suppose. And like the, the area where we were to this morning, um, you know, if you go out in the evening there, in those, especially in the thick vegetation, there's buffalo. So when you're going at night, it, it that's just... To help you see what what you <laughs> what you normally can't, you know. So it's it's uh, um, so for safety wise, it'll definitely make a difference. And then another thing that I um, that I really think where it's going to help is looking into some of the caves where these pangolin take take shelter in, because the big thing with the caves or any any shelter, you don't want to mess around their their burrows or you know in this case um, the, the caves, because that's where they're sleeping. That's where they're safe. Yeah, that's you their know, home for, yes, the, you, for the night. Or so whatever, you yeah. don't want your scent around it. You don't want to mess around there too long. So normally for me to see or to confirm if an animal is in there, I'll, I'll need to shove a camera or a phone or something in there or shine with my torch trying to just get a form of visual. So spending too much time essentially. Yeah. Now you can look with that thing into into darkness and if there's if, you, if the animal is there, it'll pick up its, the, uh, you know, its thermal the signature. signature. And yeah. then you can... You can confirm your sighting and, and go, you know, so it's it's just makes things so much more effective. And even with uh, getting in close with the telemetry to the, the ones that you have tagged, yeah. it it does actually, even once you get close, it's, it's that bit that seems to take the longest because yeah. they, you don't quite know where they are. Yeah. You know they're in the vicinity, but yeah. they the, could be in some thick bush. Like you saw this morning as well, the telemetry, it, it actually becomes more tricky the closer you get to the animal because now the, the, the signal is flooded. Yeah. So you're getting a strong signal in all directions. Um, and we're actually going to use that thing tonight because we're going to a reserve where, you know, um, we're depending on other people to, to guide us to, to the point. So we're going after hours. We don't want to waste their time. We want to get, get in and out. Um, in this case, we want to confirm if the, if this pangolin just recently had a pup. Oh, that's so exciting. You know, so if she's there and we're mumbling around, you know, and making noise and stepping and stressing that animal out because now you're looking for it. Even though you don't know where it is, it can, it know it knows you're there. Oh yeah. So if you've got that, if you can quickly the the the, the faster you see it, the quicker you can get out. So we're we're gonna give that thing a test on tonight, and okay. if yeah, find her, confirm everything is okay, and 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 leave, and you don't need to struggle about. <laughs> I want to tell everybody about what we were doing before we got to the location that, that we're in now, because that was exciting, because that was the yeah. release of a new pangolin so we're going to talk about. It. But just explain what it is that you're doing and your relationship with the African Pangolin Working Group, because you're involved in uh, in research and study that is on a species that people really seem to, and I've understood this from yeah. the conversations you and I have had over the last few years and with the professor as well, over the last few years, over the last few days, uh, that people don't, really don't know that much about it. Which yeah. is amazing, and you know what the scary thing is? Like, yeah, people don't know anything about it, and the scary thing is this: this species of pangolin, the the, the Demix ground pangolin, this is the most researched one. Oh, really? <laughs> so it's, 
that's that's scary. So we know that little, and this is this is the one pangolin that's actually been been researched the most out of all of them. Yeah, so f for just for for the facts, like it's there's you know, essentially four Asian species and four African spe species of pangolin, uh, but we only have the the one, the Temix ground pangolin, also called the Cape ground pangolin. That's the one we've got over here. Yeah. So my involvement. Um, where to start, actually? Um, so I've known the African Pangolin Working Group for quite some time, and um, throughout my my career, I've I've been involved with conservation um, for quite a few years. And then the one day we got contacted by uh, by people in the area, and they made me aware of a pangolin that's been that they personally confiscated. Um, there was a, a guy on the border selling pangolins, and even even a leopard cub. Really? Yeah. Um, so it was such a, I mean, that's uh, that's the last phone call you really, really expect. You know, so I'm going to try and summarize, but um, this got me to, to, to contact the professor, Professor Ray Janssen from the, the working group. So me and him have had a few chats throughout about three years before that. And I contacted him on advice on this because these guys, they're like, Franco, you, you know animals, what do we do? How do we feed it? What and it was close to the area where you were. Yeah, clo close yeah. enough, yeah. yeah. So these were guys were calling me for advice, and then you realize, like, I, I, I don't know anything about the species. I don't know what to tell you. Had you seen one at that point? Um, I've seen one in my life before that. <laughs> um, so it, it, it just shows you. Most people haven't, haven't seen them in their entire life. It's now. crazy. This is a slight tangent from your story, but I've got family and friends who live here mm. and have done for their entire life. And when I told them that I was coming to do to see you and take, do the, the photography and give the equipment for Pangolin, they all knew what it was, a, a lot yeah. of it for bad reasons because it's the most trafficked animal in the yeah. world, uh, but none of them have seen one. Yeah, none of them, and they live here. And you, you don't even expect to see one. So, so it's, it's a, yeah, so when I got this call, you just realize you're blank. So um, I contact the professor and... We uh, we essentially try uh, again. I'm going to summarize a long thing, but we we summarize the like assess the situation, and thought it's best. I need to go and fetch this animal, so that at least now it's it's in. So you got safe hands. Yeah, not. I mean, those guys. Oh, because it was that, already confiscated at this point. Yeah, but by but by um, by individuals you know nature conservation of the police wasn't involved at this point yet but we quickly got them involved like don't do this stuff with uh this is not you're not batman or anything you know? it's not vigilante <laughs> time so uh, um uh, with any of this stuff the the quicker you get the police and nature conservation involved the better yeah um but the point is we want to minimize the the whole line of contact in a sense of i need to see, if the professor asks me look underneath the scales for wounds or you know, look for signs of a, of a of a of an injured animal that we we don't need to ask seven people to get to that information. Yeah, okay, got you. So, um, of course, uh, I I went to to pick up the animal, um, brought it back, and then, yeah, uh, we kind of that. I think she was the first one to be gone through this whole soft release protocol that you. That so, did you, you take saw. it down to down to where the 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 working group is based? Did you? Uh, not yet. Not yet. No, no, no. This one, this one, um, we, we did everything in, in the field. Like, okay. cause uh, she wasn't, she wasn't like really hurt or dehydrated or anything. You know, she had a small wound underneath her scale. Um, 
and she was a bit shook from from being handled by the poachers and stuff but it, it wasn't necessary for her to go to the hospital um, so the professor guided me through an entire thing of how to to check out her condition and we then introduced this soft release protocol where we take them out each evening um, where they, they walk for a few hours and you observe how much they're eating we weigh them um, and you see them pick up condition and with this one actually you could see she was a really tired animal um, and once she got the chance to to get food and even water, uh, 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 her condition just picked up instantly. Um, so the idea was give her like monitor the release because we were in a position where we could do it, and then we we were going to release her. And then we got the question because back then I was uh, involved with a rhino monitoring project. So we're like, well, we we monitor rhinos every day. Is it possible to monitor this animal in the same way? So I asked the professor, like, can we, can we actually install a? Is there a, like tracker, trackers that you can install these animals? And he's like, yeah, it's definitely, that's definitely possible. That's a good idea. And I said, well, let's, let's do that then. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I was like, wait. And I call him back and again. And I'm like, wait. I I I study conservation ecology. I'm looking for opportunity to to continue my studies. Is there any gap for? For research on this, on so this you'd, at this point, you'd done your undergrad in ecology. Yeah, um, and but you're yeah. now working in the field of conservation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've always wanted to continue my studies, but on something that 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 I'm passionate about, because then it's not really, really work. Um, yeah. And actually, funny enough, on this point, I was looking for opportunity to maybe continue my studies um, on leopards. Okay. You know, um, with the leopard hunting ban and and all that 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 what's happening quite recently. You know, it's it's. Uh, it's a it's a hot topic, and I do believe I do agree that leopards are, we we shouldn't assume that we know everything about them. You well, know, that's such a, an elusive animal. It's such an elusive animal, yeah. so more research is needed, especially in different different areas. In any case, so when I suggested this to the professor, he that's where he freaked out. He's like, "That's what I want to hear," and just then things just started happening. You know, um, but the the scope of the project also just started growing because. You think, oh, I'm going to release a pangolin. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be so unique. It's a lot of work. And As I've seen, a little, uh, little, little yeah, clip. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and little sleep. So I quickly realized you you can't do rhinos and pangolin. That's, it's, 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 a, it's too much work. It's, it's, it both are two yeah. in, intense species. Yeah. They um, need your full dedication yeah, of your time. Yeah, so, um, and with, the, with this project... Um, we just came to the conclusion like I need this needs to be a full time thing this cannot be a sideline thing uh, um, and we realize that more and more every day you know we're um, you, you've met Abram he's one of the the few guys that's being trained in this as well because I'm, I'm also not enough like this it needs to be bigger you know um, so I'm not going to go into the details but then yeah I decided to to put all my focus on this and yeah, I just picked up from there. <laughs> and and um, you begun your master's study at the same time. Yes, it yes. was all in conjunction with this. Yes, with, and with the African. Yeah, uh, so project. initially the masters got things started, but now it's more like the masters and that stuff. That's more of a, a byproduct now of the work. Yeah. Okay. So I'm working with the African Pangolin Working Group now, um, and just a, I mean, you met them. Just a great and dedicated team. Um, so I'm 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 focused on the 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 whole the field work, the rehabilitation release and 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 the monitoring afterwards and guiding people through that like with 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 the training because like you saw it's its own it's its it's its own uh uh its own thing 
We'll, uh, we won't, you and I won't go into the detail of the African Pangolin Working Group uh, or the Rehabilitation Centre because hopefully, fingers crossed, I'm going to catch up with Ray, yeah, uh, the professor, um, in like two weeks' time when I get back from Namibia, and I'll cover all of that yeah, with him. His, it's, so we're going to have a whole other podcast from his yeah. point of view and, and a bit about his background as well and, that, and what they're doing there. You need to hear those stories. You need to hear from him. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it was great. I mean, I was fortunate enough to go and meet him and some of the people who who were working there and involved in the rehabilitation and, and walking the yeah. you know, walking the the rehabilitated um pangolins so that they can feed mm. and it was you realize when you see what they have to do on the ground before they get sent to you for release yeah. how much work is required it's insane it's and, it's uh, and there's no there's no way that well f- from what i could see that there's no cutting corners you just have to put the time in it requires it, a lot of man hours yeah and of course it's a freaking nocturnal animal as well so it's yeah you have to you have to it's all after hours it it goes into your personal time um and that's that's at step 1 and funny enough well not funny but some of these so all of the pangolins in, in this project now um, that I'm focusing on, these are animals that's been confiscated from poachers. So, you know, on lucky occasions, we do get animals that, that's been confiscated and they're still in good health. But a lot of them have been abused or hit with pangas to break pieces off of their scale for muti. Um, that's med- med- medicine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, these animals, uh, they haven't been fed. They haven't, they haven't uh, had access to water. Poor poor sleeping conditions like these are super stressed and abused animals you know so the uh, the, the guys at the hospital they receive these things like what you saw that's the that's the uh, the after they've been yeah <laughs> the, 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 the young pangolin you know? i saw was in a really good state good condition yeah but they don't come in like that yeah, they don't often. come in like that so yeah. you you I don't want to say you have to get thick-skinned, but you, you don't like this. Is the good stuff, you know? And and I'm and I'm so happy that we 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 get to this point and we get a lot of pangolins to this point. But unfortunately, you do you do see animals that's been that's that's been through hell, you know? And and that the the team over there with what they're doing, you you need to be you need to be strong to keep doing that, you know? And to be able to continually see the poor yeah. state of animals coming in, which have just been abused. Because it, it's it's a knock, you know? Because you the 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 teams doing the 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 rescuing. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail for, uh, with that. Um, Ray will. Uh, yeah, we'll. we'll yeah. I'll speak to Ray about the. But, the but from bit. from the the retrieval team to the veterinary team to the re, uh, you know uh, to the guys doing the the soft releases and the in the in the release and the monitoring, you know it's from all those people involved and you do get losses, but if that loss happens, you know it's. It's all of those people, you know. Um, yeah, everyone all, feels it. All of that emotion um, is in that moment, but vice versa as well. You know, if there's a successful release, um, like Old River that we saw, well, Young River that we saw this morning, it's that's such a successful release, and it, um, yeah, then it's yeah, I suppose then everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah, well, I know from your communications with the group, and you're, you're yeah. keeping everyone up to date with uh, the various different pangolins mm. that, that you're involved with, and. Everyone has such a vested interest in it, and they're so oh, yeah. enthusiastic about hearing when you've got even just little snippets of news. Yeah, no, it, it makes a difference, and I suppose that's uh, that's what makes my my job. My, it's, it's it's the nice part. Like I can I can get to report that stuff as well to them. What what is the issue that the pangolin face? I mean, we've talked about poaching, but why? Just elaborate on that a little bit to explain um, why they're under such threat. I think an easy uh, easy way. 
well, the best way to understand is kind of to compare it with rhinos. Rhinos are a bit more well known and people understand their situation. So, um, so just like with rhinos and with actually lions, um, you get the Asian species. There's Asian rhinos and, uh, you know, there's tigers. And there's a demand for tiger bone or blood or rhino horn and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, um, for various but, different yeah, medicinal purposes. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, with, with, with a growing population of people, the demand for those type of things are also just ridiculous. And the, the, the I can say the Asian species, they... They can't supply that that demand, and the species numbers are, that they have in Asia, yeah, yeah. The, it can't supply that that demand. It's 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 impossible. So those numbers are decreasing. I mean, if you look look at some of those rhinos there as well, it's pretty much on the brink of extinction. Um, and to to supply the the demand for these products, they start targeting then the African species. Um, you know, and of course, over here we've got poverty. So chuck chuck the value of these items into into that mix. You know, and and there's your incentive for yeah, poaching. Yeah, and it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, I don't know all the stats now, especially with the lack of sleep memorized. But <laughs> if you just look, for example, in 2017, I think there was close to close to 47 tons confiscated of pangolin scales um, between Africa and Asia. And this year alone, by February, there was already 40 tons confiscated. I saw just before I came out, there was a thing in the BBC News, an entire it's, there was a picture of a container. Yeah, and it was looking into the container. It was all just dried, flat pangolin. If we get a gap later or tomorrow, I'll, I'll, I'll show you the the stats on the graph. And yeah. it's it's just ridiculous. It just it just it's, it just keeps skyrocketing. And that's know? just what we uh, know of. Yeah, it's, that's what what we know of. You know, uh, it's it's a, uh, I mean, there's been a case now where pangolin scales have been they've been deep fried, so what? they completely they look different, and they're they're I think they were trying to sell them as uh, avo chips. Yeah, you know, um, so they're sneaking these things in all sorts in of all ways. sorts of ways. You know, it's it's a so to disguise them. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's scary. You know, these it's um, where money is involved, you just get <laughs> you just get this ridiculous stuff. Eh? Um, and the, you know, this one of the things that I find so frustrating about it is much like rhino horn because my understanding yeah. is it's basically the same material right it's like exactly. your same your fingernail yeah. same makeup it's exactly is it does nothing for anybody it does nothing it's not like people are poaching a, the, there's an incentive to poach and it's being poached and it's yeah. being shipped to other parts of the world to cure cancer yeah it does nothing it does nothing yeah it, you should just chew your fingernails basically yeah. it's 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 hair it's mm. modified hair when when you when dehorn a rhino it even it even smells like it does smell burn, like when you cut the hole, yeah. When I when we attach the tags, um, we attach it on the pangolin scales, mm-hmm. so it, it doesn't it doesn't hurt them at all. And you but you have to drill a tiny hole in the scale. Smells the exact same. So it's just it's modified hair. Um, but you explaining that to people. I mean, it is um, it's good also seeing on social media pangolins are becoming more popular. You know the so the awareness there is, of the there species, is more wa- yeah. awareness. Um, so it is good, but unfortunately. It's not. It's not happening really fast enough, you know. Um, but there is good stuff. Yes, there's people working hard to um, uh, to save the species, you know. Um, some some crazy dedicated people in Vietnam as well. Yeah. Um, but It'd yeah, be amazing it's, to, it's, to see to see what what they're doing out there. That oh might yeah. Be something for the future. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll actually show you on Instagram um, yeah. what to follow there. It's, Are you in contact with the the people out there? Um, I'm becoming more uh, more in contact now, but yeah. uh, Ray is. 
He is all the time. Oh man, he's in contact with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll have to speak to him about that. But yeah, no, it, it it does nothing. And like I say, it's it's such a frustrating thing because it's such a. It's just why. Mm. Where where. Uh, and it's know, down to an, it's an education thing yeah, from the people who species, are consuming it. Yeah, a species that's already a rare sighting. Even even in African cultures, it's you know it's seen as a like blessing when you see these things. It's it's a naturally rare species. And now it's being even further impacted by something pointless. You know, it's not it's like it actually has any medicinal value or any value. Um, but people still go for it. Uh, it's a really quite curious and incredible animal. I I was trying to re- record some notes um, for, for a, another podcast I'm going to put together on this subject, combining all the stuff that we've been doing and some of the, the field audio. And I was trying to articulate my feeling when I saw a pangolin for the first time, which was with Ray. Yeah. And and I couldn't really do it. Yeah. It was... <laughs> I didn't really know what to say. It was... You know, I actually felt this this level of a, of emotion that I really, really was not expecting. Yeah. You know, because it's not, it's not this uh, a giant elephant. Yeah. It's not a, a rhino, which is a very imposing animal because yeah. of it, because of its size and stature and it's known the world over everybody knows what one looks like yeah. it is famously african you yeah. know this is a relatively small low standing ground animal yeah. that's all scaly and yet you see their interaction and the way that they use their hand and the, the little snuffles that they yeah. make and it's you can't help but be endeared by it Sounds like they're beatboxing. <laughs> <laughs> they're incredible. No. Tell, tell us, or tell people a little bit about it. I mean, you've educated me an unbelievable amount in just how they um, function in the bush. Um, you know, everything from the, the way that they walk, the way they carry themselves, to to what they eat. Yeah, when, just when to you, paint a picture. Yeah, for when people. when you see when you see pictures of them, or at least when when I did, because you see in field guide field guide books and stuff, you mm. see a picture of them, and you think it's just like little small. Small move, uh, slow moving uh, uh, animal, but in actual fact, I mean the one that we released at the, the other <laughs> side. I mean that was about eleven kilograms, right? Yeah. Um, another male that I've also released, he was fifteen kilograms, so they're huge. Well, bigger than one would expect. Yeah. Um, and such a specially, specially adapted animal, like from 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 all angles, like with, so they they're. Oh, I'm not even going to pronounce that term in English, but they, they specifically feed only on, on ants and termites, mm-hmm. nothing else. Um, and with that, like, a, I suppose, an anteater or artfark, um, they're not related to them at all, but they also have that, that elongated tongue. Yeah. So the tongue is essentially longer than, than the body, um, if it's fully extended. It's longer than their body. Yeah. So the tongue attaches here, like next to the stomach on the diaphragm okay so the tongue it's got its own like whole sheath that it that, that it pulls into they don't have teeth they essentially can't open their jaw so the the jaw can move a tiny bit open but they don't they don't like even if i hadn't noticed that because yeah. I, I i obviously i saw it them eating because yeah. we spent a lot of time watching them eat but they've always got their nose buried in the yeah. soil and yeah. then you never really get to see the tongue although you no. if you go if people go and have a look at your instagram there's an amazing picture of one with its tongue extended out yeah that's when it's yawning yeah um so it can't even open the jaw for to yawn so when they yawn the tongue like slowly goes out and then and pulls back in so it's it's a <laughs> it's very funny to very see. It's cute, a great right? picture so oh, no thanks man <laughs> um but yeah so first off you got that 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 crazy tongue for for shooting into the termite nests and ant 
and the, all the burrows, you know, like um, for for eating, and then the scales. Um, I mean, there's nothing like it. It's it's, it's, it's you know, because, uh, and it, of it's course prehistoric. It's a, it's a it? mammal, yeah, yeah. You know, and and it's got scales. Like it's like <laughs> what's happening here, you know. <laughs> um, and if you see the scales as well. I'm sure you notice, like, but the scales like move individually. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's, cha- it's, it's like um, it's like armor. Yeah, as a like manufactured armor, like scale imagine. mail, yeah, scale mail. Yeah, 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 like it, chain mail. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, 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 so you've got that tongue, which is ridiculous. Then that the 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 scales, um, claws for digging, um, and funny enough, you'll see. Um, you saw the uh, uh, river climbing the tree. This yeah, morning. I did. Yeah, yeah. And you should see how they use the claws to. Um, some an- before I continue, I'll, some ants the defense mechanism they have is their heads. So the the, the soldier ants will close openings of their 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 nests. Okay. Physically with with their heads. Huh. So, so the they just pangolin, ram themselves in there. Yeah, and the pangolin just shoves his claw in there like <laughs> breaks like the hole. Individual claws yeah? into the hole and then shoots the tongue Knocks again. Knocks the door down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I'm coming in. So the 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 tongue. Claws, scales, and then even the way they walk. It is the weirdest yeah, thing. Yeah, it's it's uh um, so these guys, the ground pangolin, they walk um, bipedal. They walk on, on yeah, their, their back legs, yeah. and then to, their tail counterbalances the back, and then their front feet lifts off the ground when they hold their little claws together like that. You know? It's so weird when yeah. you because they almost like cross their hands. Yeah, people they're say very polite. Yeah, yeah, people say, oh, they look polite or they look like they're planning something, you know? <laughs> scheming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, scheming, yeah. Yeah, it's almost um, like a little velociraptor. Yeah. yeah and the, except uh, low yeah, to the ground. Yeah. Like a polite velociraptor, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, and it allows them to freaking move. You know, it's it's they. they I could walk not with quite believe a, quite a speed, eh? how much um, ground they can cover in such yeah. a short space of time. Yeah, and and bulldozing through everything. You think, oh, there's a thorn branch that's going to stop it? Nope, not around it. It's like straight through it. You know, <laughs> um, and very little care in the world. Yeah, they, they've got their mission, yeah. and that's it. And that's and it. Nothing's like, going to get nothing's. in their way. So it's such a such a crazy and spatially adapted animal. You know, it's such a on all levels and, and like I said there's nothing except other species of pangolin that can compare with it and then when you look at the other species of pangolin the f- I mean there's they're like the black belly pangolin the white belly pangolin these guys they're climbing trees then again so you'd think you'd think it's uh, yeah <laughs> but that's you're able to tell you about those guys but it's it's uh, it's difficult to explain them but it's uh, it's a, it's an experience <laughs> So little seems to be known about them, which makes the work that you're doing and hope to do in the future really important. Yeah. In terms of um, understanding how they function in their environment and what yeah. their impact is in that environment. No, definitely. Um, so, yeah, my my personal research now with this project, I'm focusing on pangolins that's been confiscated and released. So we're looking at the success of, of releases, you know, because it's easy... Well, uh, it's not always easy, but you know, you go, you, you, you retrieve an animal, you, you take it through care, and then you release it. So we're now just looking at what what optimizes release, um, with the idea that the soft release protocol is necessary, because we found with a lot of hard releases where you just take the animal to a reserve and just let it go, it's still in a stressed state, and then we get a lot of mortalities from that type of releases. So this allows allows them to just kind of get used to an environment and then when you let it go it's not this massive system shock mm. um so i mean just uh, it's obvious talk, why t- talk through the um 
what we just did at the at the the place the we were at side. two days ago because that was yeah. a, that's a perfect example of of the soft release process. Yeah, uh, well, that included also uh, a bit of training for training some, as yeah, well, yeah. to include more people. Yeah, so that's um, so yeah, you've 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 seen the process at the hospital, um, yeah, the, the veterinary hospital. Um, so that guy, we we went to to well, that girl, that that it was a female pangolin. We went to to fetch her from the hospital and then take her to this newly approved release site. Um, as you saw, those guys were also super super amped to be. Everyone was so excited, yeah. so positive. Yeah. <laughs> um, you 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 uh, said it was. It's almost like adopting a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's a lot of responsibility. And like you say, like you saw, I threw them a bit into the deep end because they need to understand the scope of it. It's not a it's not a fun pet project. It's a it's a it's a responsibility, you know. Um, and you're now a part of the team. It's uh, they're not going to function on their own. They're they're a part of this the, their entire project. Um, so what we did there is first assess the, the habitat, um, which was obvious pangolin, um, yeah, prime pangolin environment, you know, um, they've had pangolin sightings in that area as well. Um, and, uh, we, we, uh, 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 asked the, the manager, what area does he recommend based on availability of food, um, shelter, which would be logs caves or um, ideally burrows dug by you know porcupine or or, or artfark um, artfark also indicator of of things like termites and and uh, the presence of termites and ants um, so food shelter and water even though water is not really that important because their their main source of water is metabolic water so they're not water dependent okay. um, but they will drink on availability um yeah, so we checked out his recommendations. Um, first night, <laughs> um, they learned on why should they keep an eye on the pangolins because once they find a, um, a barrel, they'll dig in. Um, oh, sorry. That's okay. Not the mic. Um, I'm losing my thoughts now. Well, that, so, I mean, we, we were walking with yeah. everyone, with, with the team and um, everyone who's going to yeah. be looking after it. And then, <laughs> and then she she went in to go. She was looked like she was some interest in eating and then she disappeared down that bar and we could see her out of arm's reach just digging and digging and, and digging and amazingly and digging what, what it seemed like underneath the termite mound. underneath the termite mound, and then she entered it from from the bottom yeah yeah no, that was definitely well that was the first sighting for me as well yeah um had you not seen that before no? not that no no it's 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 insane what you i wonder how much we miss <laughs> yeah um so yeah um we we then I mean, we couldn't, even though your first instinct is to let her go. She's in a barrow, that's it, you, that's that's done with the release. But again, we need to monitor the success thereof. Um, so we did retrieve her the next day. Um, she's still in good condition. There was some, some evidence that she that she did get to eat. Just, um, ba- just back up one sec, because I want to yeah. explain to people about, you know, retrieve, because she wasn't, she was in, she wasn't in the burrow. So how, oh, yeah. how did, the, how does that process work? Just explain that process for people. Oh, with the, the with the tag, the, the tag. Uh, and the telemetry. Um, just make sure I don't share sensitive stuff. But yeah, yeah. no. Um, so it's uh, we use VHF um, radio telemetry. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've all got a, a little radio tag attached to them with a specific frequency. And which is much like loads of different animals around the world. Yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. It's, same it's exact same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but because penguins go so low to the ground, and also going to burrows, it's it's um, difficult. It, it, it can be quite <laughs> difficult. Yeah. So you saw we had to 
find one of the few high points available there and then essentially start scanning the entire property. Um, luckily, uh, she didn't move too far and we, we could um, we, we could track her manually. Um, like you say, with that equipment, it takes it takes a bit of time and training, but it's 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 uh, quite user friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, found her again in a burrow, which meant we just had to come back later at night. Um, so everything works on Tangland time, um, but it was a good exercise. Cancel all your plans. Yeah, cancel all <laughs> your plans, <laughs> um, and don't make assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it was a good exercise because the guys saw, you know, first of Tanglands can can move, you know, and it takes time. So essentially, with the soft release protocol, we we have to walk these pangolins every night and and observe them from a distance. We're not really bothering them, um, and and confirm that they're eating and that they're not um, that they're not how can I say freaked out, mm. you know. Um, so like you saw that that second night, she it didn't even take ten minutes for her to start eating and things. Yeah. And she was so you know that she's calm. Yeah, she was showing all the the signs of a normal pangolin. Which and you're is, looking for condition as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but all those calm when I say calm, it's like you say, said earlier. They they don't they don't give a shit. They they just walk past you, walk over you. They, they that's the signs of a normal pangolin. It, they they're on their mission and that's it. So it's, that that was very good um, behavior to see. Um, I'm glad it happened so quickly as well. And lots of feeding. Yeah, lots of feeding. Um, and then before we we give them a few hours because normally they are active for, you know three to five hours a, a evening um, so we you ha- physically have to walk with that animal for that amount of time and then you have to look when they stop feeding and now they're looking for shelter and once you see okay she's done eating then we we put them that back in oh, we, we take them back uh, to their box which is specially made for them um, gives them enough space and, and proper shelter so they can sleep in peace um, but just before we do that we just weigh them so you can get an idea um, are they losing condition um, are they picking up weight or is it staying a bit stable because um, they will lose a bit of condition because they just got back from hospital and where they're they still readjusting on, on, on drips yeah. and everything you know so they're they're in top condition when they get uh, when they start this process so they do they do lose lose a bit of weight but it's nothing nothing to really fret about um, and as soon as everybody's happy because um, all of all of this gets monitored by me the professor and the wildlife vets you know so as soon as everybody's happy, um, we all make a choice together and then we say, okay, now it's released. And you let her go and then we try and monitor at least at least three times a week where you, you go and just check for signs. Um, and like I said earlier, uh, I spoke about that counterbalance thing. Mm. Uh, the tail. Yeah, the tail. So the tail is normally nice and kind of parallel from the ground. It's lifted up, even bouncing like that, as yeah. you see when they, they walk. So... Uh, a sick pangolin will start dragging that tail or, or or struggling to keep that that balance so they'll start walking on their front legs as well you know so you see a, you see a massive difference in in that that their condition and we've we've had times um where you the the soft release went well and then you release and then you see oh wait the condition is decreasing so that's actually the the advantage of the the, the post monitoring um because now you can see, oh wait, there has to be something we missed, and you you get it where there was an injury under a scale that got infection or something like that. That's um, that was that. I mean, it's very difficult to see when they're sick. Like they yeah. they hide they hide um, 
that stuff so well. And seeing um, underneath the scales is difficult as well because yeah. it's the, you, the you whole saw. Pl- I was at the point where I'm smelling pangolins. Now, yeah, I know. Because you know, I'm I'm smelling because to you see can, if there's a wound, if and there's a wound, and if yeah. it's infected. Yeah. So yeah, people look at you strangely when you do that, but that's how it's done. <laughs> um, but um, yeah. So the, the fa- that next phase, once you've um, you, you're not you're no longer bringing it in every night, is the phase that we went and monitored this morning. First, yes, thing, yeah, with your so, the, the pangolin that you've. Uh, how long have you yeah, been watching that so pangolin? So it's the soft relief phase, which you saw where we did the training as well. Um, so on that site, um, the the manager of that property of that reserve, he he is now reporting to. To the African Pangolin Working Group, yeah. so he's now mimicking all the lessons that we've learned. Um, so yeah, he went. He's now busy with that the soft release protocol, um, where she gets back. Once he releases, then it's um, a bit of an intense monitoring um, stage, where for a few weeks he needs to go every morning, every night. So in the morning he goes to find the burrow where where uh, where she she would find shelter. Um, not really mess around with the burrow, like I mentioned. Just identify the fact I, that she's Identify. There. Is it a burrow? Is it a log? Sometimes I sleep in the open, which is not a good sign. Um, but identify where where did this animal find shelter. Um, and that allows you to... That's very convenient for you to then have a good starting point for the evening. And then you go later out the evening um, and see if you can't get a visual. But as soon as you confirm that animal is okay... The tail is off the ground. It looks the behavior is normal. We back out. So from a safe distance, because now it's a wild animal. We don't want to mess around with it. We don't want, we don't want the monitoring to interfere with their behavior. Um, so then you just confirm condition and get out again. But that's for a few weeks, twice a day. He does that, and once you, once you see this this release is going okay, then I say we get to the point where I want I want sightings at least two or three times a week. Yeah, we're we're just confirming that it's still in the area. Because if you're gonna wait a week between sightings, it could they be a long move way away, massive distances, you know, and it's 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 not fun finding them again. Mm. But we are now exploring um, different types of satellite systems, um, and that's just that just makes the world of a difference. That's a bit of a game changer. Uh, that yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. We uh, with you know, the pangolin that you you're monitoring that we went to see. And observe this morning river. Yeah, yeah. Um, we got to witness the most incredible thing oh, yeah. that is part of what they do, <laughs> what it is to be a pangolin. Yeah, which was uh, sni- got- sn- <laughs> sniffing out a nice, big, sloppy um, buffalo turd. Yeah, <laughs> and having a bath. Yeah, and having a bath in it. No. I could, it just looked so joyous. Yes, it was kind of disgusting, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. but the way he was rolling and rubbing it into his yes. belly and holding it in the ball. Yeah, because they the shove it. They thing. actually shove it into their belly and then they flip into that ball. Yeah. It's probably worth mentioning that's their defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. So they've got the scales and uh, then they curl up into that ball. Um, and it's essentially not even a lion or a leopard can get into that ball, hey? Once they clench into that. So you said that yeah. they, they hold their back legs with their front legs or they. Oh, is no, it, no, is no. It the, they, they, the, just... the front of the body. They, they fold in their head and the mm-hmm. tail covers the body. Oh, so the tail yeah. is the muscle that kind of clamps yeah. round. I don't know what the hell they're doing when they hold their their back legs. Because a lot of the times they'll just go and, and sit on their bum, tail in the air, and they just hold their back legs with their <laughs> claws and like, look at you. 
Just chilling. Yeah. Because <laughs> you said you, the, there was one that you were monitoring and it was up on a rock face yeah. somewhere. Flipping took me for a three-hour walk. <laughs> like, it just moves and climbs a big, one of these big copies. And then just, when we got to the top, it just sat on its bum and held its feet and <laughs> looked at me. <laughs> and I was like, what's happening? <laughs> um, so, I suppose they're... Um, because you know their belly is exposed, I yeah. suppose that's a way of cooling down as well. Yeah. Because they do also go in that position when and they urinate over themselves. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I suppose that's cooling them down. It's not a very clean animal if you think about rolling in poop and urinating. No, he was pretty <laughs> disgusting when he finished rolling yeah. in the shit this morning. He was, <laughs> he was always proud of himself. Absolutely eh? covered. <laughs> absolutely. I can't wait to see that footage. Eh? Um. Uh, no, I'm, I'm excited. It's it's, it. it's very. It it looks playful. Eh? Yeah. Like, yes, shit. He's having an absolute blast. <laughs> uh, you said that they don't see that well. Like, their no. eyes, it's their it's their nose and, the, and yeah. their senses that yeah. are... So, it's their nose, their, their hearing isn't too bad, um, but their main their main sense is their, their sense of smell. Is their hearing, I, I, I look, when I was looking at some of the footage, I could see a little hole along the yeah. side. That's their yeah. ears. Yeah. A little hole then, behind their eyes. And then you'll see some hair in there as well to, to block ants from getting in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, because yeah, that would be very annoying, especially yeah. when he's got his head in an ant hole. But fun, yeah, but funny enough, I mean, you saw they're not really bothered by by sound that much, you know. Nah. So it's only sudden sounds, branches breaking, a car door slamming, a dog barking. Um, the only natural sound that I've seen them really react on, which makes sense if you think about it, is baboons screaming. Okay. Yeah, I've seen them walk in the field, and when they hear baboons, then they because baboons will mess with them. Yeah. Well, baboons mess with anything. Eh? Yeah, they do. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's that opposable thumb, eh? <laughs> um, um, but if you think about it, I mean, a pangolin is defenseless against a human. Mm. Well, because a human just picks it up. Picks it up, you know. Yeah. Uh, and a baboon can do the same. Um, is a baboon trying to eat it? Well, I guess it would do if it had the opportunity. I think, I mean, baboons have a very inquisitive nature. But, you know, baboons, I mean, I've seen them pull a, a, a civet out of a out of a burrow. Yeah. Um, to, to kill and eat, you know. So, uh, if if they get the opportunity, uh, they'll they'll try and eat but it. But they most of the time they wouldn't be able to open that ball. I mean, they're persistent. Um, but in the one case where I've seen, um, looking at tracks, I've, uh, one of the, one of the penguins I've released have been found by baboons, but they, they eventually got bored and left him. So the dog is now seeing the the wheelbarrow. Oh, is he? Yeah, that's <laughs> is that his, what the growl was? Yeah, that's his eternal enemy. <laughs> yeah. For my dog, it's the bruin. Oh <laughs> yeah, you go and try and sweep, and he just get—he's all over that broom, and he's growling at it and barking at it. <laughs> no, but you see, he's keeping a distance because he's afraid of wheelbarrows. So <laughs> why is he just, afraid of wheelbarrows? I don't know. I have no idea why my dog barks at a broom because it's not like I've ever taunted him with it. <laughs> no, he's, he keeps a safe distance, but he just wants everybody to know he doesn't like it. Sorry about that. It's okay. <laughs> You'll get over it in a, in yeah, a minute. No, no, you'll get over it. Their their defense mechanism is basically impervious to everything. You, you just in passing, just a second ago, you yeah. mentioned lions and you know anything. Yeah, else. you'll, you'll they, actually they, see photos and stuff. Um, a lot of times where people see lions playing with uh, the pangolin, uh, they they have killed pangolins because they they essentially play them to death, but they don't because they get tired of it. Yeah, but they don't. This uh, you saw the scales, everything like. It's all smooth surfaces, so there's mm-hmm. nothing to bite onto or hold onto, um, or get your claws into. You know, it's it's a it's a it's nice. Inc- it's incredible yeah. how it's evolved. Yeah, like that. it's insane. Eh? Yeah. Um, 
No, they're a magical, magical animal. And I'm kind of upset that I've only got another day and a half to spend with them. And you. Yeah. <laughs> it's we've... gone so quickly. <laughs> yeah. It really has. Yes, no. but we've got a lot done in such a short time. No, as well, we have. So that's, that's fantastic. What, apart from humans illegally killing and trafficking them, what other threats do they face? I mean, I, I know obviously it, yeah. we've discussed the other wildlife. To, to, our, and, to our knowledge, we are, there is no really really uh, uh they don't have a natural predator no you know that's that we regularly regularly see our baboons take down pangolins yeah. you know we've um, so is it other man-made things that cause them to die then um yes yeah i mean what about drowning i don't think that's something i've ever we we, we it's not something we've discussed i'm just thinking i'm still waiting to see it apparently they're very good swimmers okay yeah so i haven't seen it yet but um yeah but i suppose if they I fell mean, into like a like, a, like something they couldn't get out of, obviously they would. Drive. Yeah, then of course, yeah. Um, but fence lines, electric fence lines, um, that trip wire that's there for predator control. Pangolins, when they cross fence lines, they do go underneath it. You know, but on occasion they'll try to climb over the fence line. Yeah. And once that that shocks them, they snap into their their defense. You know, so they crawl into that ball, but around the fence line. Uh, so they're continually shocking, shocks, and the more and they get too. shocked, probably the co- the the more yeah. tight they hold. Because so, that's the, that's the only defense they've got. Yeah, you know, and then yeah, it, that that that's very emotional thing. That's it's not a that's horrible. Yeah, um, but, and there there isn't one. really an understanding of how often that happens. I would guess. I mean, the a few. I mean, it's a, it's a rare species. So the the few cases it does happen, you have to put it in perspective. That is. That is a lot, and that's only a few cases where it's reported, because mm. you have to realize there is a, a value of this animal on the black black market. So when people find it, that animal was re- reported, they go and sell it to the Sangomas or or whoever they can get it to. You know, so um, not all cases are reported, but it, enough gets reported that you know it's 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 a concern to have. Mm. Um, but yeah, of course, man-made barriers, um, like you say, anything where they can get stuck, that's definitely a problem. Um, especially because they're so rare, people aren't people aren't aware of it. And then naturally, we've had cases of a honey badger um, that that killed one. Um, I mean, they're yeah, they're, they're a top predator. Yeah, those an underestimated a, predator of yeah, the African. We've bush. had a case where an elephant killed one, a young bull. Uh, that you told me about that. That was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, but it's uh, it's an inquisitive elephant that doesn't know what it's doing. It's not like it's. Um, this was not the yeah. norm because it, it basically stood on it, didn't it? Yeah, so it's it's not a you know it doesn't know what it is, yeah. um, and uh, then uh, just the extreme case was um, the one ingested a wasp. It was a small type of wasp that went goes and lies its eggs in the 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 ant nest. So when it was eating the ants, it accidentally ingested the wasp that got stuck in its throat and repeatedly stung it in uh, in the throat and it swelled and. Yeah, died of anaphylactic just such shock. Incredibly bad luck. Yeah, like that was. You, you don't even know how to respond to that because what are the odds? Yeah. Um, so there are, there are these little things, but they don't have a, a, a regular predator that specialises in taking down pangolin. Hmm. What do you see as the the kind of the future of of pangolin? I think we're sitting in a in a place right now where seeing pangolin in 20 years time is something that is a 
there is a very high possibility that that might not happen. You might not be able to see pangolins, or certainly it's, certain species, in 20 years' time if we uh, don't address the issue that we're having I, right now with I think it's poaching. Uh, yeah, um, I'm, but it applies to all conservation efforts. Kind of, it's it's. Um, there's nothing that you can specifically do. You, you know, you can't go and take one action that's going to have just a magical solution. You know, awareness and all that stuff is fine, but there's a certain mindset that needs to change in society. You know, we spoke about it in South Africa. We've got all this wildlife, all this nature. How many people even know pangolins exist in our own country? In our own freaking country? How many, you know, um, how many how many people are aware of rhinos, of, of, of wild dogs, you know, of the status of these animals? And, you know, it, it, people think, people see it as this distant thing. You know, it's there. It's there in the... The Kruger National Park. All these problems. All these all these problems are distant, you know. And people should realize: yes, holy shit, this is a part of our country. This is a part of our our world, you know. And we we need to be involved. Like we and value it more. Value it more. Yeah, there needs to. And and it's. I mean, it's a lot easier said than done. Mm. But I mean, of course, education is it's. But saying education is important. But saying it. Seems like the typical thing to say. Oh yeah, education. But um, but that's a but really long term. That's really a long term thing. Yeah, education. Yeah, people need to freaking wake up because it's it's you know um, there are bad guys doing bad things, and it's it's. But there it's, will always be bad guys yeah, doing bad things. But it's not it's not it's not the conservationist or the ecologist. It's not their problem. It's all of our problem. Like this is a these animals, all these species. This it all belongs to it belongs to all of us. So. Every, there needs to be a society mindset to get involved and be invested yeah, in and yeah <laughs> in in the bush, the environment, and the wildlife yeah. that inhabits it. In, and that's true of and any country yeah. that you live. And in it's amazing. The I mean, the 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 goal that we're going to visit tonight, uh, the pangolin. Um, that's one of the locals that that reported it. And this is this is a guy that. That owns a, a digital store, you know, selling TVs and stuff. You know, he he's so far disconnected from conservation as possible, but just from a conversation around a fire and him, you know, activating that switch in his head, he heard a conversation that led to something that led to him by chance hearing about this case, and we could successfully, you know, retrieve that pangolin, mm. hospitalize it, hospitalize just because, it. Just because somebody. Yeah realized there was something not yeah. right and, and, and did the right did thing. The effort. Yeah. Because it's so easy th- thinking, oh, I'm not involved with Bangalore stuff like that's, that's... Not my problem. That's the police's problem. That's yeah. nature conservation's problem. That's... And this guy... I mean, that small effort and now hopefully we're going to see her because she's pregnant. So hopefully we're going to see a pup tonight, you know. And so he essentially saved two Bangalins by just picking up the phone. You know, or, or not even picking up the phone, just by being aware of what's happening in his area, he, he he had the opportunity to make a difference. And now the thing is, how many people aren't even aware? <laughs> yeah. One of the conversations uh, that you've, you and I have had over the last couple of days is the, the, the dynamic and conversation that you get into from time to time, being in the position that you're, you're in as a conservationist, involved with pangolin, but also being someone who is a hunter and, and does hunt. Yeah. How... How do you tackle that when you get confronted by people? How, the usual stuff, you know. How, how can you do that? How can you care for animals on one, one 
hand and then kill animals on the other. And you're involved, like, right at the coalface of conservation of an incredibly endangered and highly trafficked animal. So clearly there's this amazing passion and care for an animal. And then equally, you, you, like I do, you, you know, we hunt. And that that paradox is a very difficult one to to explain yeah, in a way a, that you can get people on board with the idea. Yeah. Um, wow. Threw me into the deep end there. Um, <laughs> it's something. I mean, because we haven't touched on it yet. All, we've been talking about Francois, the conservationist, yeah. the ecologist, and I see those things as, as yeah. hand in hand. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah, um, having got to know you, that you're a hunter, I, I but think, it can it can put some people off guard. I, I think people like the whole hunting thing. The whole the whole answer to that question, like people are making a way bigger deal. People are making a big deal about, oh, you're a hunter. Now, this needs to be explained. You know, in South Africa, hunting it's a part of our whole conservation system. It's not like as a country we got to. Oh man, wheelbarrow again. <laughs> Um, it's not like we came together as a country and say, hey guys, how can we piss off the world? You know, yeah. let's hunt. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a part of, it's a part of culture. Um, it's a, it's a part of wildlife management, you know, over here, wildlife numbers needs to be managed. And I mean, we can dive into that conversation. That'll take freaking another seven hours, you know? <laughs> um, but it's, I suppose it's, how can I, man? just lost for words um i mean here people, people don't need to like it you know people just need to understand it if you're going to step into into any any other country than you than you're even me like if you're going to step into into someone else's world you can't then go and go and judge and demand things you know people have different cultures different religions different different habits you can't you can't just attack them and you especially just can't demand change if you don't respect or understand it. And the understanding is the key. Yeah. So for me personally, um, as, a, as a hunter, I mean, we discussed it as well. I hunt with my camera as well. You know, I, I, I'm very blessed to be able to live in the bush and experience the bush um, on, a, on a regular basis. Um, so my, my regular hunts is with a camera in my hand. You know, I, I get to smell what a wildebeest smell like where I'm in the field, you know, and, and experience the wind and click, the stars. Click, click, and click, the, click, click, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and tracking all that stuff. Um, and I'm blessed to also be able to, when I need meat for the freezer, then I go and I say, okay, I can afford to hunt a kudu and these guys need to reduce the, the females or the males or whatever, you know, and, and then you go and harvest. So that's, that's for, it's, it's way better than buying meat at the supermarket. You know, and it connects you with your food source. I mean, look at people even freaking, if you're going to make your own veggie garden at your house, that's way more rewarding if you know you planted this and you, you, you like, yeah, kept you're it safe from bugs it, and stuff. Yeah. And it, you, this food comes from you. You harvested this. So, um, but then again, there's, there's other, other people that, that don't work in the bush. They don't get to experience the bush on a regular basis. So their connection with nature is their hunt, mm. you know? And then they also, I mean, again, it's a lot be- better than buying your meat uh, from the supermarket. So, and I believe also as well, I told you, yeah, the day I stop feeling emotion when I harvest animal, that's the day where I will stop hunting. 
because I think it's important to realize like if you do eat meat, you should know where it comes from and you should you should take the responsibility of 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 of, of taking it. If you can't just like be blissfully unaware, yeah, you know. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a deeper connection with with everything, and you you kind of feel a part of the system, you know. Um, and and that's something that most people never get to experience actually being. Yeah part of the well, you, uh, system yeah. as you call it or actually being participating within nature yeah. in the environment and you yeah. the greatest way of doing that is to sustainably uh work within it and yeah. be the predator that we are yeah and it's um i mean and everything in balance as well you know um so that's also important to remember you know it, it, it's um and be aware of what you take we discussed it earlier as well, you know, everybody has a footprint on this planet. It doesn't matter what you eat, what you wear, or what culture, everybody has an effect. And be aware of your effect and take responsibility for it. And give give something back. You know, see how you can you can improve things so that you know, whatever you harvest in whatever way that it is that <laughs> it's, again. Yeah, that it's <laughs> that it's sustainable sustainable for the future generations. Um, but again also we spoke about this as well. Um, I didn't grow up... Well, I grew up, grew up around hunting, but I didn't grow up that I want to become a hunter. Um, and when I got to a point where I considered myself a conservationist, you know, where that's my... the direction that I'm heading in and that's the stuff that I'm reading about. So I I considered myself a conservationist. And then one of the biggest conservation, conservationists I've met at that point was a hunter. And this guy was a professional hunter, so this is his career. And I was blown away how this guy could beat me in any conversation, but not like we were arguing or anything. But, but just his, with knowledge. His knowledge was just insane. And his connection to the bush was just next level. So you, see, you, you, know? weren't, you weren't seeking that out. You weren't trying to prove not the at, point. Not at all. That oh, hunters are great because look N- at this. Not it at just, all. It landed in your lap. Yeah, and I was just like what the hell is this guy on? I need some of that, you know, because, yeah. and, and his connection with everything, you know, um, and I'm, I mean, I've met a lot of field guides and uh, also very in, inspirational people. I've met a lot of people in the bush, but this guy was just... On another level. On another level, you know, um, he he was a hunter. And if you think about our history, like it's it's a part of our, but if you, if you think on cavemen, a hunter is a, you know, that guy... He knows the bush. He knows how to go, do the effort, and 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 bring back food. He has to. He to has to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's that's a different term. You know, if somebody says hunter today, it's a fat, rich, white guy with a gun. That's how they. That's the term hunter. But it's actually a much more honorable term. Mm. And this guy was that. Like he was like, wow. And I went seeking that. That's the first time where I told myself, okay, I. I'm willing to step into that this world and experience what this guy's talking about. You know, um, I remember um, when visiting him, like uh, what, what, during that moment of realization, you know, he was cooking kudu fillet, and with that kudu fillet came an entire story of where that that kudu came from. You know, and the way he prepared it, I mean, he knows how to to cook. You know, he's not a guy who just sits on the chef, hands him something, or he picks up the phone like he. He not only harvested it, but he cooked it for us and he presented it with pride. So we knew exactly where it came from and there's this massive story and this massive memory that comes with that that meal. And I was like, "That's this makes sense. Yeah. This ma- so a lot of like, 
not in the sense of hunting doesn't make sense, but this makes sense of why someone would want to do it. And since I've stepped into that world, yeah, that's exactly... That's the experience that you're uh, now having. Yeah, and as as a hunting, uh, when I have to explain hunting, well, that's that's my reason for it. Like, it's it's it, it's just a connection to the bush that you, you can't... I mean, I, I suppose it's not... For, I'm not saying everybody should be a hunter. Um... But understanding but, it is important. But understanding and it. Its and its role. And, yeah. Um, and even a lot of my friends, you know, if you go and hunt something, that you know, like an eland, for example, that's a lot of meat. Plenty. And, yeah, <laughs> and you get to share that with people. Yeah. Like, even so they, they don't hunt themselves, they're also so thankful for that, and they know where it comes from, you know, and they're connected to it as well. Uh, so it's... it's the, sharing, the sharing of the spoils yeah. of a hunt... I think it's one of the greatest yeah. human connections that we can and have because not only is it connection with the yeah. wildlife, it's in connection with other human beings. Mm. And and it, and it has. I have to. I have to say, it has connected me to to everything that I do. You know, because um, it's a mo- it's a lot more real because it's easy. It's e- easy leaving your comments on Facebook and just living in this ideal world where you can say hunting is bad. Rhino on trade is bad. This is bad. It's it's easy to just just go that route and just I don't know. The, the thing is with with that kind of, with, with those kind of throwaway comments, yeah. especially on social media, is there's no there's no consequences yeah. to it, and you can ignore people that want yeah. to have a reasoned argument or a discussion yeah. to maybe make you change your mind, but you can just ignore it. Yeah, but, uh, because it's not yeah. like you and I sitting around a oh, table man. where we can uh, we can debate it and bounce it back and forward. Uh, it's such a waste of like. With anything, um, like if you're gonna invest in a conversation on social media on that type of stuff, it's just a colossal waste of time. You don't need to. Yeah. People should learn. You don't need to prove yourself to anybody online. You know, let your work speak for for itself. But like I said, like yeah, it, in the end, sorry if I'm going in a loop. But no, no, keep going. It definitely, definitely, it connected me to the bush in a way that I've and I've always loved nature. I've always loved animals and stuff. But since I've become a hunter. Well, since I started hunting, um, that has taken me deeper into it. The people that I've met, the conversations that I've been in, you know, it, it, it took me way deeper into conservation than, than, than anything else that I've done. Hmm. Um, but it, 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 I'm, I'm sure, you know, it is a really hard thing to explain. It is, yeah. Um, it's, uh, I, well, the fact that, it's the fact that it's so hard to explain yeah. is the reason that I think we've been fairly unsuccessful in yeah. articulating it to a greater general public yeah. who are not involved in but it. But I also think it is kind of a part of our... Because um, look at today. We're, we're so... F- our bodies are so far disconnected from our minds. The only thing that we're doing, we're sitting and reading the entire day and we're being... Our brains are just being flooded by... We're, by crap, you know? Mm. We're not exercising. We're not... We're not even planting a vegetable garden. You know, we're, we're not... We're not surviving... You know, where there's no survival drive or anything anymore. And I think hunting is kind of connects us to that dormant instinct in us. I think that's why it's such a why people connect with it, you know, and suddenly understand it. Because you get a lot of people that 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 disagree with it, and then after they've experienced it, they're like, "I know what you're talking about now, but I still can't put it in words." <laughs> you know, um, so I do th- I do think there's a role of that where it's 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 a part of our genes in a sense. Um, I mean, it definitely is. It's. Mm. I think it's within all of us. Yeah. Uh, but unlocking that becomes increasingly difficult. The fur each generation yeah. which is removed from 
our historical need to do it, yeah. which is what you're saying. You yeah. know, now we're very comfortable. Yeah. You don't need to do it. Yeah. It's not a necessity in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. You go to the counter and you exchange coins yeah. for meat or whatever else. Yeah. And it's actually scary to think like if you don't know where meat comes from, there can be some some horrible stuff in there. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, we've uh, yeah, we've had our fair share of uh, meat scares in the UK, where people have been consuming things that they didn't know they were consuming. Yeah. Um, you probably saw the horse meat scandal. Oh yeah, that was a couple of years ago. Now, yeah, right. I people thought that, they were yeah. eating beef, and they're actually eating ex race horses. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> Which oh, is fine. Yeah. I mean, the French eat horse all the time, but. If I'm going to eat horse, I no, want to know. You want to know, yeah. Wheelbarrow. Wheelbarrow and then an ass in my face. Yeah. <laughs> Glad I didn't turn around anymore. I think yeah. in, in, in Africa in particular, I think you probably, uh, as a continent, but and certainly South yeah. Africa, I can speak for that more, consume more game than most countries in the world, I would say. Because in North America, you can't you can farm game, but you can't sell shot game yeah. we shoot a lot of venison uh you know well, we don't shoot venison we shoot deer which yeah, turns yeah. into venison uh in in scotland and the uk but you barely ever see it in the shops yeah you know most of it goes to um, game deals it gets turned in and stuff but you you go here and you see it's, you know half a different types of yeah. game bulltong yeah well you and your butchers remember, yeah, we're, we're in the we're in the bush now yeah. so the butcheries and stuff here in the shops closer to to the bush yes um Probably it's, not. The, the popu- yeah, the the popularity is increasing, um, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but beef is still a big part of South African culture. Um, but That's yeah, a big no, industry it's, it's, as well. Yeah, but the the, the venison, um, it's yeah, it's been actually ages since I've probably read up on on game meat, um, but it is it is increasing, and they want to get um, to points where you can easily more easily export um, the meat because that's a big thing. Uh, the, another controversial topic it would be, for example, the trophy hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's this idea that you know international hunter comes and he shoots the animal and they just leave the meat there in the bush. So that's not the case at all. But they can't export the meat. Um, you know, so but the meat still gets utilized then within the country, within the country, yeah. with, within the reserve. You know, you're normally um, eating the meat from the people who hunted the week be, before. Yeah, yeah, before you. Yeah, because yeah. in it, camp. Yeah, the carcass f- first needs to hang and the meat needs to be processed. Yeah. But if the guys stay long enough. Uh, if there stays long enough, yeah, then they 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 consume the meat that they they've harvested themselves. Mm. Um, but yeah, it is a it is a it is it the popularity for venison meat is increasing. But back back in the day, it was seen as a as a as a cheap food. You know, you 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 don't want to you don't want to eat that. But now now it's more it's becoming a bit more fancy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny how how times change with that. Yeah. there's a lot of. Um there's a lot of meats around the world and, and species that were considered just for the peasants. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> but now, now are like yeah. prime prime cuts. Yeah, oxtail. Well sorted. <laughs> o- oxtail. Even uh, your sea, sea trout. Yeah. I mean, those were in the rivers at home. Sea trout were just seen as you know, like pesky sea trout. Yeah. Yeah, anybody can have those. Yeah. We, don't, we don't want them. We're only interested in yeah. salmon. How times have changed. Yeah, no, definitely. But I mean, South Africa is also a good example. I mean, in the in, back in the day, even the property that we were on this morning, that was cattle ranches, like in the past, you know, where where river was. Yeah. Ah. Um, so, due to to hunting and tourism, there's a value on on wildlife, 
it can be utilized. And a know? value that's greater or equal to the cattle farming. Yeah. Um, and because of that value, and in a case like this, in this area, you know, yes, I mean, it's beautiful, but this is crazy out of reach. This is not, uh, tourism isn't sustainable here. If you if you go 100% tourism on these of, on some of these properties, it's it's not it's not um, how can I say charismatic enough to make enough of an income to have that reserve be sustainable. Yeah, you wouldn't pull so, the people in. Yeah, so yeah. the majority of of these these properties, you know, have hunting on them. But it's in that case, yeah, that's actually important to say. Like hunting there, it's 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 a management tool. You know, it's it's a it's a form of income. But it's done smartly. I mean, if you, what do you do with your business? You 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 think about your choices. You know, it's 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 not just done randomly and just go and kill everything and well, bask in the no money. There's no future then, is yeah. it? Yeah, you have to manage your populations. You have to manage your genetics. You have to think about your choices. And hunting is a management tool, and it's a it's opportunity for a lot of these places. Um, the the reserve that you were on this morning, so that property started f- for as a four thousand hectare property. Today it's eighteen thousand hectares, just because of hunting, and a dash of tourism, I suppose. Like, but really, just for fun. There's no real income, so it speaks for itself. And an eighteen thousand hectare wildlife property is way better than than a bunch of cattle. And and you, you also saw in this area, agriculture. This is the soil and everything is primed for agriculture. Well, they could turn it into something yeah. else for sure. Yeah, but yet it's, I mean, we're. How long, for for hours and hours we've been driving through bushveld. Yeah, you know, and that's way better than than <sighs> agriculture and freaking uh, uh, livestock farming to me at least. Well, you and, know, so and I don't. Th- I think <laughs> if people visually see it, it becomes pretty obvious yeah. which is the better alternative. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think that's the thing that I always try and uh, explain to people yeah. as a consideration when they're, when they're trying to decide or, or make comment on things like hunting. Yeah is what is the alternative? Mm. So right now, this area that we're looking at here in front of us is largely speaking used yeah. for hunting. Yeah. So tomorrow it's not. Yeah. It's going to be used for something. Yeah. So what That's is a, it going to be used for? I can't remember who said it, but it's it's said so well. Money's like water. It will flow. Yeah. Like it's going it, to, it needs to, if if you stop it here, it's going to flow that way. You have to control that that flow. If you're, if you're going to, if you're going to stop the hunting, eventually it needs to go and you'll have to convert it to agriculture. You need to convert it to, to, to something that's something. going to generate money. Yeah. Because or it just collapses. Yeah. You know, um, uh, a while ago I worked for a year doing game capture where you're part of a team that actually goes and you catch excess game on, on, um, on different uh, reserves. And then you, yeah, they, that that gets sold then to different properties. So it's a way of genetic exchange and getting rid of excess numbers and stuff. Um, so that's also a management tool. Um, but in a job like that, you see a lot of different properties and you do see places that's badly managed. Okay. And you literally see these places collapse, you know, because <laughs> they're, 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 you think you... I'm not saying every property needs to have hunting. That's not my point. But not considering your options and not making good choices... Because of your own emotion, then you just see these places. Even even actually hunting, where people just they 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 make bad choices with their hunting practices, mm-hmm. and that has the same effect. Bad management choices, then it just goes. Yeah. yeah. The best, the best, and in today's time, it is possible. You know, um, the best is 
do your own research. There's more than enough. And uh, ask questions. Yeah, and uh, it's because you you'll you'll be surprised of what you learn. Like don't don't do one-sided research. Like do your research, read up on a topic. Um, ideal, go to these countries, go and understand it, talk to people, talk to people that don't share your point of view, and you don't need to like it, but at least understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in the case of you know, I'm working in pangolin conservation. There's cultures that use pangolin meat and pangolin scales. Like, how can I, how can I expect to even have a conversation? Never mind even change their habits. How can I even expect to have a conversation uh, to these guys that think so much differently than I do? If I don't do the effort to to understand why do you value the meat? Why do you value the scales? You know, because if I understand them, they might actually be willing to understand my point of view as well. You know, so it's it's a uh, and I, I think uh, it doesn't need to be explained anymore. All the information is, is out there. Do the effort. If you really care, do the effort. Go and read and do it with an open mind. Mm. <laughs> Sorry if that sounds a bit... <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. Yeah. And it's I, I've just two days ago, or just when we arrived into camp here, I watched a, a video uh, on... It was like a chat show back in the UK, and a friend of mine, Charlie Jacoby, yeah. had been on representing hunting. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he got, it wasn't his fault, he's an incredibly articulate man, but he just got smothered by an entire audience and pretty much everyone else who was yeah. on the panel who was against it. And as soon as you say something like, because they were talking about mm. particularly trophy hunting in inverted commas yeah. in Africa, uh, as soon as you say something like, well, if the hunting isn't in an area, especially in a place like Africa, then the wildlife won't be there anymore. And then the immediate re- reaction is, well, that's ridiculous. You're saying that yeah. for it to be there, you have to go and kill it. But just being a little bit more calm yeah. about trying to understand what's going on on the ground and coming coming to the place yeah. and looking at it and seeing what the alternative use of the land is, just like yeah. what we were saying, I think it would eventually begin to sink in. But most people are not prepared to look beyond... That kind of blinkered view that they've they've formed an opinion. They don't like the idea that someone would want to kill an animal. Yeah. No, they're lazy, and, they're like, and that's it. I um, back in the day when I worked with students, and we did a whole a lot of conversation on this topic. You know, because um, from people all it's international students from all over the world. You know, and I I just got to the point, like I said, where you're tired of explaining it, and I and I said like these guys just just pointing fingers is it's freaking lazy. If you, if you really care about conservation, if I'm not saying if you're an animal lover, if you're a conservationist, like if it's easy, you're doing it wrong. If it's fun, you're doing it especially wrong. Fun might be a byproduct of the work that you do. Like you, you, you I mean, you're allowed to enjoy some of the stuff that you do. I don't mean it should just be torture. But if you're doing it for the fun, bugger off, man. You're not doing conservation. You're just you're just playing. Mm. You know, um, it's easy it. going to a place petting lion cubs, taking pictures, you know, flipping, calling yourself the the ultimate hippie or whatever you want to <laughs> make your tag yeah. and then say to the world, you're this animal lover, therefore you're a conservationist. No, you're freaking, you're, you're lazy and you're just, you're a joke. You're a show. Like, talk to the guys. Do you, if, if you, if you wonder about any topic, pangolin conservation, wild dog conservation, I mean, predator conservation is a big deal. It's it's so difficult, you know. Um, marine conservation—I mean, I don't even want to touch that. But if you go to these conservationists 
and you talk to them because these guys they lose the 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 luxury of opinion because you have to now you have to understand people that don't think like you. You have to understand the real situation and not the Disney situation. It's the science. Yeah. It's what what yeah. do the facts show us? Yeah. What do we understand from be, what we you know? You have to be involved and sometimes you have to sometimes you have to acknowledge a difficult choice. You know, and because conservation is difficult. Conservation is not it's not working with animals. If if you if you want to step into conservation thinking and I I was there I was there thinking like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work with animals. This is gonna be so much fun. Um, it's not. You're working with people, and you're working with people that think differently than you. You know, and you have to. You, you achieve nothing by pointing fingers and you know, writing a blog. <laughs> you, you have to be able to communicate Pe- people, with people. You people have to fe- feel like they do yeah, something. And you, yeah. yeah, and you have to, you have to understand their point of view, and you have to dive deep into these things. And it's not always pleasant. You know, I remember with with. This is years ago, but reading up on on rhino conservation, it's actually I recommend people do that. You know, I mean, it it goes deep, but the role hunting played in the past in saving rhinos. Yeah, you know, it's a great it's a great and, story. Yeah, and and it's not it's not hunters saying that. It's not. It's ecologists and conservationists saying that because the data doesn't lie. Yeah. You know, they were on the and, brink. And, of and and then when you say something like that, when I go and I say, "Hey, hunting saved the white rhino from extinction," do people like f- go ballistic. I'm like, wait, I'm not saying I want to hunt a white rhino. Like, I I I I don't, I don't. And do you think I want to say something like, "Hunting was good for rhinos"? You know, it's not something I want to say, but it's it's fact. It's there, mm. but it's a good example of how complex conservation can be. And again. It's easy saying people just love animals. It's it's not. People don't think like you. People don't. People think differently. Like conservation is working with people and dealing with, with different mindsets. Yeah. Um, so it, it, this is this has been said many yeah. times before. Uh, I, I mean, I, Ivan Carter, when he was on the podcast, he reinforced this. But in the modern world that we live in, and particularly in a place like Africa, mm. if the wildlife doesn't have a value, it's gone. It's gone. And you look at mm. rhinos because you bring it up. I mean, rhinos are in a precarious position because they're poached all the time. Yeah. And a lot of places don't want to have rhino anymore oh, because yeah. it's so expensive and so much hard work just to yeah. keep the things alive. Yeah. I because s- they're and I've go to I can't remember the last rhino I saw outside mm. of a national park. And I, when I used to come, I see them all the time. Every every farm friend yeah. that I had had rhino on it because yeah. it was just the thing that you did. Everyone had yeah. rhino. They're all gone now. No, it's 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 a hundred percent risk. Yeah, it's a hundred percent risk. There's no return. Uh, Almost uh, no return. Yeah. Uh, this morning, no, I'm lying. This was it late this morning or early this afternoon. I got a call of a friend of mine that's involved with rhino stuff. I mean, me and you, we're walking in the full moon, getting lack of sleep, and we're just enjoying this penguin stuff. This full moon is freaking this guy out, and he just called me. Just he just needed to dump some stress, yeah. just get it over his shoulders. Like it's it's it's. It's intense. It's it's difficult. It's not. It's not. It's, it's not. It's not fun, you know. Um, and I understand. Like I even spoke to one rhino owner, uh, you know, because he's considering selling, or he was considering selling his rhinos. And I told him, like, I, I will not judge you, at all, you know. Your family lives on this reserve, you know. <laughs> it's, your you endanger your your property and everybody on it by having rhinos. By having rhinos. What a sad you know? situation. Yeah. It's it's uh it's difficult and then and then 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 in that case 
when he uh, in the end he decided to dehorn his animals social media went at a field day so this guy got judged for dehorning for dehorning and again i'm not going to go into that topic um, i recommend people do their own reading on pro dehorning anti dehorning and there's a lot of uh, 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 there's a lot of good reading either way on that but in this case i'm just talking about that choice which in that case you know dehorning doesn't isn't always a good choice you have to realize each reserve has its own challenges then you get each country has its own challenges hunting might work in south africa it doesn't work in other countries you know so it's important to keep that in mind but in that case when that guy decided to to dehorn his rhinos that was a good choice the 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 presence of poaching activity because we saw a lot of tracks and everything on the property on a regular basis all of that decreased instantly because the incentive was gone the uh, i mean it's it's important to remember not to relax no. dehorning is not a there's not a solution you know like if there was a solution to to rhino poaching it'd be finished that will, yeah. like some people would be really rich <laughs> uh, but it's important to realize there's multiple deterrents and you have to combine those deterrents and you have to and each property again is different you know um but, but this guy case, was judged on that oh, yeah. decision oh yeah probably by people who don't know anything doesn't have probably know. never even seen a rhino in the wild it doesn't and and then when you say listen in this case, it was a good choice. Then you're the bad guy, and it's like, really? Do you think I want to say dehorning? Do you think I want to dehorn a rhino? No. Like, I don't want to say this, but as a conservationist, you have to take these these points. You have to, but then these guys, they don't even want to hear it. No. You know, so so if if you're like that, you're not a conservationist. You might be an animal animal lover or nature lover or whatever you call call yourself. But if you're gonna if you're a conservationist, you have to be able to to leave your opinion on the side and listen to information and opinions opposite that of your own and even understand it. You don't need to adopt it, but at least understand it. Understand how other people think so you can engage. And your actions need to be taken without emotion. Yeah. Because, uh, they, because was, they, emotion's important yeah, because it yeah. motivates people. But the the result of your actions, yeah. the, the choices to do what you yeah. do, whether it be dehorning rhino or... Uh, where you uh, you know even culling yeah. animals, old old animals, yeah. or moving animals to mm. other places. Those decisions need to be based on science. Yeah, no, definitely for for the species, not the individual animal. No, definitely. And that's a really, it's so hard to get people to understand that, especially in this kind of yeah. Disney world, because people become attached to an animal we give yeah. them names yeah. you watch all your wildlife programs and every 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 lion has all a my, name in the pride all my, all my pangolins have names yeah <laughs> but but it's it means that i think from from at a level where people aren't involved yeah. in the day-to-day -day, yeah. uh working and management of the wildlife yeah. they put so much value on an individual animal mm. that it blinkers them from making the right decisions yeah. and comments about the long-term survival of a species. Yeah. And no. that's the difference, I think, between, you know, an animal um, uh, an animal lover, that's not the right term for it, but, uh, and, and a conservationist. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I always tell people, like, switch your emotions off when it comes to the conservation decision. Switch emotions off, look at the information, and then switch the emotions back on. But if, if you've got this wildfire of of emotion like that's gonna that's gonna cause damage you make poor decisions yeah so 
it's good to have that fire. It's really good. It's good to have that passion. I mean, it's important to realize a lot of these people have so much passion. But just switch it off for a second, or before you light that fire, just look at the information, and then when you light the fire, it's a controlled fire at least. You know, and you can control that passion. You can direct it so much more effectively. You know, you can you can then say like, okay, let's pick an example, elephant hunting. I'm not going to go dive into that one, but you don't need to agree with it. You don't need to agree with the information, but now that you have the information, at least you can now see, oh, this is the actual problems and this is how the system works and this is why people agree with it, this is why people disagree with it. I'm on the disagree side, but now I've at least got, I'm armed with information that I can now tackle the real problem and not this imaginary passionate problem that I've got in my head. You know, um, so it's not just this raw passion, but con- control passion, which is which is good. So that's my <laughs> my view on, on on going on that. But it's uh, always difficult. It is. Mm. It's uh, you know, it's a conversation we have a lot, mm. uh, and I I don't have the answers to it. I believe, mm. and I will. I believe that hunting is vitally important in yeah. many instances for many species yeah. for their long-term survival. Mm. And the moment I don't believe that to be the case, I won't do it. Yeah. And I wouldn't support it. No, I, I'm not going to yeah. support the hunting of pangolin. No. Because no. because it it's, makes it's, no sense. Yeah. It, you it, know, there, there is absolutely no reason why you would need to do that. Yeah. Or th- there's no logical reason why it would benefit the species. Yeah. It's, 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 it's when a, you it's look a, at the the balance of the the numbers, how they interact yeah. with their environment and other other it's species, a, it's an unsustainable, irresponsible exactly. harvesting of yeah. a of, of of a resource. Yeah, you know. But there are plenty um, of other examples, like Impala and yeah. Kudu, and yeah. go name any probably thirty, forty species yeah. of antelope in Africa, where it makes perfect sense to do that. Yeah. Yeah. As it's, long as as long as it's monitored. Yeah, and if it's if it's done responsibly, you know. Yeah. But I mean, if if impala are going to be endangered now, no, <laughs> like leave the numbers. Like mm. it, it it doesn't. But the numbers are okay. Impala is like wow. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're blowing up. Aren't not they? not going yeah. down, but. Um, but it's it's also about it's about responsible use of resources, yeah. and I think we have, and I've said this before. I think we we have a responsibility to use our resources yeah. and it's irresponsible not to use them yeah. just as the same as it's uh, irresponsible to use them irresponsibly yeah no, but I mean it, it applies to, uh, I mean that applies to everything yeah you know like any any way we, we utilize this planet and its resources like that applies if it's done irresponsibly it's it's just dumb yeah if, if, it's, yeah. if it has negative effect yeah. but to, I, to sit and not use a resource which is sustainable and can replenish itself yeah. is silly yeah. Especially in the world that we live in, where we're continually fighting to try and work out yeah. how do we minimize our impact on yeah. the planet. So you look at mm. utilizing game in a ver- as natural an environment as we can possibly mm. have on the planet today, like this bush that we're sitting yeah. in right now. Utilizing a harvestable surplus of game here yeah. is the most responsible thing that you can do, in my yeah. opinion. And, and I, unless somebody tells yeah. me otherwise, I'll continue to believe that or shows me why that shouldn't be the case. And, and, I'll, and I'll show you. I'll show you on 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 a map. Back on the pangolins, you know, we 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 approve reserves and things where pangolins get released, and they get released, and that pangolin, it's not going to go. Hey, this is a nature reserve. I'm going to stay here. It moves on, 
So if these are all cattle ranches and, and agriculture and stuff, do you think that pangolin is going to survive in a habitat? It's not. No. I'll show you how these things move. And they've moved through tourism reserves, through hunting reserves, you know, through government reserves, through through uh, 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 agriculture, uh, agriculture plantations. They, they, they move through these things, you know. Um, but the cool thing is that habitat is available. Yeah. You know, the habitat is available. The food is available. The ants are there. You know, and they're if, there because it isn't just dust. Because yeah, so so you, you can't argue with that. And people go like, oh yeah, all these big species, you know, all these big charismatic mammals and stuff. You know, have you thought about the small mammals, insects, bird life, things that make an ecosystem actually function, <laughs> grass, trees, you know, because of of utilization. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go just hunting, 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 but because of tourism, because of hunting, because there's a value on these things. You know, that's there, that available habitat is there. And it's not just the Kruger, you know. It's the majority of, of, of available habitat in South Africa is in private ownership, meaning that it's actually sustainable business. It's used for something. Yeah, yeah. and in South Africa, I'm not going to dive into numbers. It's been ages since I've been on this number, uh, like I've had all this stuff memorized, but we've got poverty. It's It's... And that's true across Africa, yeah. generally speaking. Yeah. You know, we've got a massive population. If you compare us to N- Namibia, there's more people in Cape Town than the entire of Namibia. I think you've got 45-something so, million here, maybe a bit more now. Yeah. So we've got a crazy population. So why is our habitat and our wildlife numbers increasing? You know, because it's got value. Yeah. You, you can't argue with that. And it's given value you know? by utilizing it in a responsible yeah. manner. And I'm not just saying, boom, hunting, but hunting has played its role. Yeah. Tourism no, but like has, you say, there's tourism yeah, there tourism alongside. Has, yeah, tourism has yeah. played its role. Game capture, game breeding, all this stuff has played its role. And you can't really give a comment if you don't understand these things. And it's freaking interesting once you understand it. Mm. And then you can go, wow, this is interesting. And then you want to go to a different country and then you see, wow, what they're doing works completely different to that country, but this is also working. Yeah. So again, each each reserve has its own issues, its own challenges, each country even more, each culture even more. So it's... it's you you. You have to be out of the box the whole time. You can't afford to think in the box anymore. <laughs> we could keep talking about this forever. No, ever, yeah. Uh, we've got other things to do today. So we are, we're going to go and track another one of your pangolin. Yeah, this but one. We're going to go and bry in the bush first, aren't we? Yeah. That's no, the plan. That's, yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> I think. I don't even know what well, the time is now. She's allowing us the time because this one. Oh, okay. She, yeah, four o'clock. Is, it's four o'clock already. Wow. Yeah. Um, this one only starts being active at about like 11 o'clock at night. Um, so, so we're going to be awake for a bit and then head out to find her. Sounds good. Hopefully, hopefully she's got a pup. Yeah. And then we'll bra again. <laughs> <laughs> well, three o'clock bra with beard. Just yeah, a celebration. yeah. Just. Oh, I, when you mentioned to me, well, I, I didn't. When I came up, I didn't expect. I didn't expect to be have the opportunity to see a release. Oh yeah. I mean that that was, that was just pure luck. Yeah. That, that happened. It kind of coincided within a few days of yeah. you knowing that I was coming up. So that was just magical for me. I didn't know anything about the hospital and, and when we first had a conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, you just jumped on me. It was like, yeah. you're in Joburg. You've got to go, you got to go see the got to go to step one. Yeah, step one. It's like, awesome, great. I mean, and there, there this pangolin was in front of me. It was just, yeah, still mind-blowing. I still can't articulate it. Uh, and now you drop the bombshell that there may be the opportunity to see a pup a pup that's yeah <laughs> we'll see if that's the case then your visit 
has meant rain, a successful release, seeing that insane dung rolling thing. Yeah. And if there is a pup as well, then you're not leaving. <laughs> Scottish good the, luck charm. Yeah, Scottish good luck charm. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, I wouldn't yeah. need uh, I wouldn't need much of an excuse to stay. <laughs> yeah, yes, I've be. been in worse places, that's for sure, and I've been looked after incredibly well. It's been amazing. It is, yes, a lot of that, that happened in a very short time, eh? It has. Well, Francois, it's been, uh, I mean, we've got a little bit of time still together. We're probably going to, you know, well, we're definitely going to do some uh, more filming and, and do some more photography uh but it's been great to speak to you here and, no, and yes. I, i'm so delighted that i've had the opportunity to come here and record this podcast with you uh, one because it's, it's been fascinating it's been an incredible learning experience for me the last few days seeing a species that i had only ever seen in, in pictures before and understanding what you guys are doing on the yeah. ground but also to bring from the field the the latest fundraising effort that, oh, that we've man. made and, and speak to the person that we are about. I, I've shown you the kit. I haven't officially handed it over yeah, to you. Yeah. We're going to take some pictures. <laughs> but all of this kit is yours, and there's more money sitting at home that we're going to tally up. And we've, yeah. been, we've been talking the last few days about what that might be used for, and we will tell everyone what it's been spent on. But to, to deliver it, for, for people to see, you raise the money, companies and individuals put up items, other people put up the cash to bid for it, mm. uh, won it, we've exchanged the items, we've got the cash, yeah. and we've bought this equipment, and it's here. It's actually in the field. 100% yeah. of that money has come here, and it's not being wasted on anything at all. I, I don't it's even, great. Yeah, and, uh, I don't even good. know how to say... Th- I mean, you're saying thanks to me, and it's, I mean, it's a big pleasure, but I don't even... I told the professor the other day, I don't really know how to say thanks, because it, thank you, it's like, oh yeah, thank you. But it goes, it goes like seeing everybody's involvement. You know, it's, it's such a pleasure... Even on the release side, there like everybody's so motivated. Yeah, you know that crazy feather painting of a pangolin, like somebody oh, taking from Claire Brownlow. Yeah, yeah some, something somebody taking the effort in. I mean, painting a pangolin, you have to look at pictures yeah, of it. Yeah, I, well, I sent her a bunch of your pictures. Yeah, yeah. And, and doing that, and people people becoming involved, and then I mean, this equipment, it's it, it's going to make a difference. I told you about about future research and stuff, you know. So. Just thank you to every everybody that's involved, and to you guys for doing the effort in in, in putting it all together. It's just, it's thank you for me. It's thank you for the entire team. It it, it it makes a massive difference. No, it's it's absolutely our pleasure. I'm enthused and will forever be bitten by the pangolin bug because oh, yeah. uh, you know I've <laughs> they crawl I've into ha- your heart. Eh? They really do, and I, I've had the I've been fortunate enough to hold the one in the hospital uh, yeah. when it was being taken back to its crate. And yeah, I, I will. I'll never be able to forget that. And so f- from from now till forevermore, uh, the pangolin will be a species that yeah. sits deep in my heart. No, and I've got no That's, choice yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whether I like it or not. So yeah. thank you for that opportunity. Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to. I'm not quite sure how we're going to put together the, the footage that we've been taking over the last few days, but there's going to be a film output from it. Yes, yeah, so uh, and hopefully, hopefully, it's going to lead to something way bigger. Uh, yeah, you're looking at the bigger story of of pangolin conservation, conflict, the issues yeah. that it face, so that we can raise more awareness of a species that really, really needs it's, help. It's serious, seriously like every every bit of effort. Actually, it, like if you talk to uh, Ray Johnson as well, the professor, like mm. you'll see every little bit of these efforts. It just goes a long way. Um, it it even even before you get to the physical difference it makes, even the morale. Of, of people becoming involved, you know, it's it's because a lot of the times with 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 us, it feels like because you're dealing with a species that few people know about, so you're constantly explaining 
the situation from the beginning. So you, you kind of feel you feel isolated. You know, so even even that just the when people become involved, it's such a, it's such a big pleasure, you know, and 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 it just it reinvigorates people and and then it, like again the physical difference that the equipment makes and the donations make it it just from tracking equipment to building the boxes to to gathering data um to safety yeah. to vehicle repairs um you know that's it it, it, it literally allows us to do, to what do you the do. work yeah. if it uh, how, what else can I say? On I that, should you know? uh, highlight. Um, I mean, I'm assuming that there's a way to donate to the African Penguin Working Group. Yes, on yeah. The website. They, they recently just um, they're these guys are busy. Um, all all of them very busy. So um, the website has been under construction for a bit. The the new website is launched, and there is a donation button on the website. Um, they've got a PayPal account as well. Okay. Um, so it's, it's so easy. So I think PayPal international wise, PayPal is a is a very convenient way um, to make physical donations, um, and then for for anybody that actually gets on their trips to see a pangolin, um, there is also a link on the website where you can report pangolin sightings, where you you, you give the the GPS details oh, and the, the habitat details. It's just a short questionnaire um, that it just allows us to get a get a bigger picture of what people see out there. So that also contributes to 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 the research. To the knowledge, of, yeah. yeah. There was one other thing that I wanted to to just mention and point out is that if people are wanting to support pangolin conservation, yeah. there really is no other place at the moment to look than the African uh, Pangolin Working Group. Uh, there's a there's a few organisations um, in South Africa though. In South Africa, it's African Pangolin Working Group. African Pangolin. Uh, yeah, so I just said it wrong the, a minute ago. I'm yeah, switch the word um, around, but yeah. No, we're working, and this is we're working with the police. And with the uh, with nature conservation, so that's a big thing, um, not just on pangolin organisations, on any of these non-profit organisations. Anybody that wants to make donations or get involved, do your research and then do it again. And th- this like, is why like, I brought it up because like, we always we've, yeah. we've mentioned this quite a few times. You yeah, know, there's a lot of organisations out there yeah. that promise a lot, and the sad, the, just the very yeah. very sad reality of the world that we live in. Is there are a lot that are really, really not utilizing the money appropriately, in my opinion. Look at what you're at you're donating to, and stay involved. Follow up. You know, um, you have to talk to Ray about the dogs. I'm not going to mention even that further, but okay. You know, with rhinos, you're talking uh, wild dogs. Uh, no, 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 uh, dogs for for that's assisting with oh, okay, anti poaching efforts and stuff. Okay, you know. Stuff like with rhinos or with any anti-poaching dogs, donate dog food, donate milk powder for rhino calves for rehab centers. Like, m- make sure where your money is going to. And like I said, like do your effort or do your research and do it again. Um, it's 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 awesome for people to 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 support, you know. And um, but yeah, it's just these days, it's people take chances, eh? Yeah. People take chances. So um, uh, we, we we've seen a lot, and we we've it's something we've we've mentioned before is that yeah you you just gotta if you're gonna go to the effort of giving money yeah then please please make sure it's going to the right organizations because mm. there's a there's a lot of scumbags out there and yeah. they're not necessarily using the money uh, where you yeah. think it is I'd and i don't want to put people off giving money because there are some awesome yeah. organizations out there but oh, just like you but yeah. just like you said just with a little bit of research you can work out yeah. who the, the the good guys are who are really doing great work yeah. on the ground and if if anyone who's listened to the podcast has 
is is in doubt. Yeah. I'm not saying that we'll be we'll have the answer, but if you want to email the podcast and ask us, especially if it's in, in Africa, it wouldn't or North America actually, it yeah. wouldn't take much for us to speak to the right person who will know. Yes. So please oh, yeah, feel free to contact that's, us. That's that's yeah. a that's a that's a very good point. Like contact yeah. contact people, and yeah, I think we're we're we we live in an age where that information is available and where you can reach the the correct people. It's a but like you said, there's there's so many amazing organizations, um, which is definitely worthwhile to support. But yeah, just just keep your eyes open. <laughs> right, and we're going to pack up. Uh, I need to get the gear ready because yeah. we're on to phase two of the day, or phase three or four. I don't know. We're up so early. Now the dog is calm. Yeah, once the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> He's definitely contributed to this podcast because everyone's going to know his voice now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Francois, awesome, and uh, we'll continue putting up a few stories on Instagram over the the next few days. Awesome. Again, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the show. Join us again in two weeks' time. There might be a special show in there that we might record at the Northern Shooting Show, uh, so you might get an extra show, but uh, we'll see see how time is because the next few weeks is is pretty crazy because we've got the Northern Shooting Show, then I am flying a drone all week for... uh, for the German Game Conservancy, doing uh, surveys for an entire week, and then I am off to Germany. So it's got a crazy, crazy few weeks. Uh, I was going to say, if you would like to leave us a review, that would be greatly appreciated. We've had some brilliant reviews in the last like three, four weeks. We've had some absolutely like really funny ones, and uh, we appreciate them. Every single one helps. People do read them. People, and you know that is how. I base uh, a few of my listening um, habits off of, as in when I found a show, I'll go and read the reviews and see how many stars it is. So we really appreciate all of that. For anyone that has just started out listening, there is loads of podcasting platforms out there. But if you are struggling, then just get in touch. Uh, the the top three that we always say is Spotify, uh, iTunes, if you've got an Apple phone, and uh, Stitcher. But like I said, there is absolutely loads out there. I'm actually thinking about changing a phone, my phone, uh, from Apple to something else. My my phone, uh, unfortunately, when I when I bought it, I have I have quite an old phone c- compared to what's out now. It's an iPhone six, which uh, I think came out about four years ago or five years ago. Uh, and I I have I've never really been one of those people that goes and buys the latest phone. For me, if it works then that's fine. It's it's all good. I've had the battery replaced in it once because it was giving me about a three-hour battery life. And yeah, that was fine. But now it's not really working anymore because I don't have any storage. When when Apple first bought this phone out, they bought out a 16 gigabyte version. I thought, ah, 16 gigs, that'll be all right. Um, won't need any more than that. But what they forgot to tell me when I bought the phone, was that 14.5 gigs of it was taken up by their system, so there was literally no room left to put any apps on. So I, I think I've got about three apps on my phone that that are actually usable, and then I've got no pictures actually stored on it. They're all on the iCloud, so you can't actually look at them anyway. Uh, so yeah, I'm thinking about changing my phone to a non-Apple one, which will be the first time in probably a decade. So if you have a suggestion on a good phone that you think, you know what, this is brilliant, and I was using an Apple before, let me know and uh, I'll I'll look into it. Well, I hope you found that show absolutely fascinating like I did, and thank you again to everyone that donated uh, money because you really have made a difference like you've just listened and heard about right there. (laughs) 